This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Uh, Eidek, Sertvik, in bed, but awake. (laughs) (laughs) I like a laid back atmosphere. You can't get any more laid back than still being uh, halfway in pajamas and in bed on a Saturday morning. Halfway in pajamas. I'm glad you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing today, man? I'm good. This is uh, uh, bright and early for me on a Saturday, but uh, it's a, it's a good reason to get up. So, uh, what's what's been going on with you recently? How's how's the stand up life going? Stand up life has been um, make me feel good. Weird... Huh? Make me feel good because it's been on a total stop for me. <laughs> Well, I was I was doing all right. I was doing like twice a week on average, which is my general oh, average since yeah. I started. Uh, That's pretty good. Jan- June until t- two three weeks ago, and then uh, I had like a week where I didn't have any spots, and then I got quarantined because of a <sighs> coworker who's got uh, who had COVID, and then just as I was sort of I had that week, I had three sets uh, ready to go, and then or three shows, and then. Uh, uh, I moved them to the week after, and then it turns out it's locked down. So it's it's oh, been bad man. for me. I didn't get any in before the lock. No. Oh. So so <laughs> but, this so this coworker of yours that ruined your life. <laughs> yeah. I, I shouldn't make light of it, um, but I have to ask: uh, Are they a COVID denier? Because I'm seeing more and more people in my circle of friends talking about coworkers or family members who have been kind of at least partially in on the conspiracy theories about COVID that it's not that bad, it's no big deal, and then they're getting hit hard themselves and going down for the count with COVID. Shh. She certainly isn't now. I don't think she is. Uh, okay. I work with first graders in school, and uh, you know, I think there's certain values that tend to be in, in people who people tend to trust the official sources and stuff if they're educated. You know, you know what? Uh, educators are in general rather, um, yeah, progressive and left leaning. Um, yeah. How would you defend that? And I, I'm going to ask you this because I've seen uh, recently, the last couple of weeks or so, you've been a little bit vocal on certain threads about, you know, when people come with BS and you're coming with counter BS, which, which is called reality, I guess. So let me ask you this. I'm really going to put you on the spot now, okay? Um, you have those people out there on the right or on the extreme right who say that it's disgusting because liberals, communists and socialists have taken over the education of uh, specifically America. But I'm also seeing people say the same thing here in Norway. How do yeah. you talk against that kind of rhetoric? How do you show those people? Well, I don't know if you can show those people that they're wrong, but how do you show people who are listening to that kind of talk? How do you show them that that is the wrong stance? to take mm, you're thinking man yeah I try to be I, I try not to comment on sec, uh, comment sections though because I find I don't get much back for it <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, see, I see I see you talking truth to power <laughs> shouting at Trump and stuff that's uh, that's uh, I'm like where do you get the energy I, I did that in my 20s and now I'm like ah life's too short <laughs> but um, to your point um, I how do I do it? I try to not get emotional worked up. I try not to, the more experience I get, the more I try not to attribute things to, you know, psychological motivations. Once you've done that, then you've kind of lost. Right? You're lost if you're yeah. trying to tell people, why are you saying this? Like, yeah. Then you're knowing their head suddenly, you know, yeah. and 
but if if you're if you're resilient to facts and if you doubt the sources, it's like what can you appeal to? You know, I had actually I had a friend who uh, for a while was one of those people who doubted the lunar landings. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and I tried to tell him so many things to sort of just make him go like you can't be serious. And you know what? Finally turned him around. He uh, he saw an episode of Penn and Teller's bullshit where they basically talked to this guy out in I don't know where it was Arizona or something. This guy was out in the, in the middle of nowhere, uh-huh. and he had and he had these pictures of these rocks and stuff. And it's like this rock's got a C on it. And you prop rocks, they always label uh. those with. And then, the, then the, in bullshit, the NASA guy showed that no, no, that's a hair that got into the negative, and yeah. and then he saw he basically saw the crazy dude uh, putting forth this, and then he was like, oh yeah, I'm not part of his entourage, and he flipped, <laughs> and it was as simple as that. Any yeah. facts I came with did nothing but seeing the old coot that was propagating this stuff that turned him around. Where so, do you think this new way of thinking is coming from? Because I truly believe that this is a new way of thinking. It's the non-thinking uh, <clears throat> method of trying to prove your point. People, people just, you know, they hear the conspiracy theory or they hear the, the crazy rhetoric from the one person and they just run with it. They don't do any research. They don't back it up themselves. They don't listen to any counterpoint that is based in fact. Where, where do you think that comes from? I think, honestly, I think that's biology. If you look at how our brains are designed, like, you know, if, if the amygdala lights up, the fear center, yeah. then it bypasses the frontal lobe, which is where your rational right. plan thinking goes. So, And I also think with the advent of... Uh, the PR industry, right, which has learned how to push those buttons. They, this is why this is why Republicans and other fairmongers do so well because it it can bypass the rationality of a lot of people. And most people, they're not, they don't take responsibility for their inner life. I don't think they don't realize how much they can actually control and exert influence over how they feel and how they act. So, you, so you think this non-thinking way of doing things actually has a thought-out process behind it? Yeah, or or just ha- it's it's what works, and so it's what we do. That's that's another trait someone, in evolution, right? But someone, someone, you know, the, the the fat cats on the Republican side, the Republican <clears throat> leadership, they have to be aware that there is this natural tendency for people to run with that type of thought. So there must be some organized uh, thought process and planning uh, when it comes to the exploitation of that non-thinking way of going through life. Yeah, that's the question. The I'm puppet, not so sure the puppet about. and the puppet master, in other words. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there must be some people who are, you know, up, up at the top who know exactly what they're doing when they're inflaming senses and sort of making people knee jerk. Well, but I don't. I don't. I think most people are unwittingly taking part in this. I think so too. Um, <laughs> I know some really good people. I mean, good salt of the earth people that uh, I felt a certain kinship with, at least intellectual kinship with, uh, pre-2016. And it's been this this observation of their gravitation, slow gravitation over the last four years, to where we are now, with people who hear Trump say that the election is a sham, and they just blindly believe it. Yes, it's a sham. Without putting any thought into it, without demanding their source, which is Trump, they don't demand that their source comes with any proof. They're just mm. listening to it. And, and, and I've seen people that I thought were rational, reasonable, um, 
uh, I don't want to say intelligent because I don't think you have to lack intelligence to follow someone oh, absolutely. like Trump is. I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence, but I am in this current search of what is it that makes people, uh, uh, when they're otherwise thinking and rational, why, what makes them blindly follow someone like him? And then they turn it around and they make this straw man argument and they'll tell people like you and I that we're the blind mm-hmm. ones. As we sit there ticking off fact after fact, you know, fact checking and, and, you know, facts and figures, numbers don't lie, for example, when it comes to the election, we'll show these reasonable, um, these reasonable uh, uh, facts, you know, Mm. but they'll tell us we're the blind ones. You'll you'll have people on the other side doing the same. You're probably familiar with Ben Shapiro and his oh, famous sort of facts don't care about your feelings. Like that that stuff's being appropriated on the other side as well. But I was going to say you talk about it being on the rise a bit in Norway too. I definitely feel that the Progress Party. Uh, to those who don't know people from outside the borders of Norway, uh, as a party that's basically they got like libertarian leanings, I think. Yeah. And they want to be like give people their own money and they know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people try to compare guided, them. You know? A lot of people try to compare them to Republicans, but I don't agree with that. I've yeah. always thought they were more libertarian. They've started the journey. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say that uh, I've noticed I've noticed more and more that they're the they do the sameish things like they they <laughs> they point to immigrants and make people suspicious mm-hmm. of them. They point to government waste and talk about how you know what to do with your own money and yeah. they're using the same playbook. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. What you what you got in the cup there? I got me some black tea with sugar. Black tea with sugar. Yeah. I have a, um, I'm into this thing now where because I, I I took a couple of steps away from cappuccino, I'll take a cappuccino or a coffee mocha now if Snoopy and I are out and about and we decide to step into a Starbucks or something. Yeah. Uh, but there was a while where I was drinking a, a a cappuccino or a coffee mocha every day here, and that dairy just doesn't agree with me. You know, oh, really? like, oh gosh, I get gas and my stomach is all blown up and all that stuff. So I stepped away from it. So now I'm doing um, black coffee. With a mm. tablespoon of, of uh, honey. So oh, that, really? that is to be recommended for people who don't like the taste of coffee and they don't want the calories of a cappuccino, black coffee and honey. Coffee makes it hard for itself by smelling so delicious and then tasting so uh, different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and there, is, there is something weird about that. I, it's, it's like a clash of the senses because I do think coffee smells good. It takes mm-hmm. me back to my childhood being over at my grandma's house and she would be drinking right. black coffee. So there's something good. There's something warm and relaxing about that smell. But, yeah, that bitter taste. Why do we drink it when it tastes so shitty? <laughs> just, just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I've only drunk it much at work, uh, black coffee, that is. Cappuccinos I love. But but regular coffee, I usually drink at work, and it's a social thing, right? So it's like, oh, everybody's having a coffee break. I'm joining in. And, uh, and then it starts becoming associated with that, you know? <laughs> yeah. What's it going to take for – what would it take for you to quit your job? My current job? Yeah. Not a lot. How successful <laughs> – well, let me ask, how successful or how – I don't know. What, what state of – success would you have to be in as a as a stand-up comic or as an artist as a freelance artist of some sort how much money would you have to make how much success would you have to have very little i'm easily sustained i don't have kids i don't have uh, i'm pretty frugal i don't i don't have a very lavish sort of lifestyle or (laughs) aspirations so 
if uh, I could be below the median wage here in Norwinds and be uh, really? happily, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'd be fine. Yeah, that is an enviable position to be in. I do think about uh, what if we could just drop, you know, drop everything that we're doing, my, you know, Snoopy and I drop everything that we're doing for income and yeah. just move up north to Sailand up in Finnmark where we have our, we have our farm up there mm-hmm. and, and quite a bit of land and it's right by the ocean. It's, it's by Rongsund and there's tons of fish up there. Mm-hmm. We, we could, we could live up there with pretty the much, with, with, with pretty much no income and yeah. but we but we would just have to work to get our food and we we'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. We'd be okay. Fish, put some potatoes and carrots in the ground and 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 fish. Fish all year. Yeah. I don't think I could go go to that. I don't know. Why not? What we keep you away, what what keeps you away from that? Well, I'm just not super practical in my skill sets. <laughs> so you would just you you would probably just sit there in the middle of the grass in, in the grass in the middle of the property and just okay, who's going to feed me now? <laughs> I mean, necessity is the mother of invention. I'm sure at some point I'd get crafty, but uh, it's not something I'd take steps towards. Uh, I, I, yeah. No, I was going to say it wouldn't be that hard up there because really, there's so much fish in that ocean. There, you have a boat, you go out, and you can catch your daily sustenance. We, in fact, we we were up there. This was, if we go back to, I, I don't know, when was this? Two thousand and four or five? Must have been two thousand and four. This is before we had kids. We went up there one summer, and in the course of three days of fishing, staying out all night and fishing, mm-hmm. we filled up a four hundred liter freezer box that we had plugged in in the garage, mm-hmm. and fro- filled it up, froze down all of that fish. We put it on our uh, trailer and and hauled it back back home. And we had mm-hmm. fish for a year. And that's what it that's what told me that hey, it is possible to live up here off the land. And you get that sweet vitamin D which you surely need up there. Oh I, I, god, I, yes. <laughs> do you get do you get depressed by this uh, darkening in the season? No, I do not. <clears throat> I okay. do not. It really it really hits me. It screws up my energy reserves and my enthusiasm and a lot of people, mood. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people in, in Norway's in, in Norway suffer from that, but I've never noticed um I've never noticed any change in my mood or in my energy in the wintertime. Uh, in fact, you know, now I'm living down south, but when we were living up north in Finnmark and in uh, Nordthrums, I thought it was my it, it was my favorite time of the year. It, I, really? I, oh God. You know, to to look out uh, because we, you know, I get it. If you lived out on uh, Finnmarksvida, where there's mm-hmm. nothing but whiteness, and I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the snow. <laughs> there's just nothing but snow. There's really no features on the land in the winter time. But where yeah. we lived, which was coastal northern Norway, you have the Alpine mountains coming pretty yeah. much right up to the ocean. So you have that that beautiful contrast of water from the ocean land the these beautiful white mountains and then the sky with uh, the northern lights and the full moon hitting off of that snow in the mountains it was i don't know man it's like living in a piece of artwork that's changing every day it was beautiful man i uh i'm from the northwest coast so uh so yeah, what's your town olesund yeah. is the nearest city yeah. so it's a, it's a small commune called Ørsta, and it's it's in the middle of what's called the Norwegian Alps, and it's stunning. But after a while, it just becomes. I mean, no, it's oh. it's stunning, but it's a small constellation for me. I need I need you the need city. That. I think. Okay. See, I don't. Yeah. 
I, I fear the city. <laughs> but oh, the, really? I fear the city, but the event, the adventurer in me pushes me into the city <laughs> from time to yeah. time. No, I, I like to get in, but then get back out to my place of peace. Mm. You know, if I want to go and do shop, some shopping or just experience the city, you know, go to a coffee bar and sit there for three or four hours and just people watch. I like doing that, but then I like to get out. Did just, you grow up early or? I grew, I grew up out uh, in the rural, you know, I, I was the okay. kid, I was the kid who on Saturday morning would get up uh, with my little bowl of cereal and watch uh, Saturday morning cartoons for an hour <laughs> and then out into the woods, out into the fields and stuff and be gone until the sun went down. Right. That was me. Mm-hmm. Um quite rural in fact at that time it was just it was called the village of norton mm-hmm. now it's now it's got city status but it was just a village back then very very quite quite rural where we were my place state a village <laughs> <laughs> state of village no progress for you huh? <laughs> no i um i don't know i just don't have i mean it's it's good that we have cities you know that gets people out of my way when they congregate there i can be out. Um, good luck finding stage time in villages <laughs> that's true well again i i see i see the value of the city uh mm-hmm. but see i'm the kind of guy i guess this never really manifested itself in my in my stand-up life but in my music life i'm the kind of guy who will go and uh perform and after my perform 10 minutes after my performance i'm on my way home already I guess it's this weird kind of social introvert combined with this egomaniac thing of being a front figure vocalist in a band. <laughs> that's a weird combination, but that's me. Well, whatever works for you. you know. um, I don't but, think uh, it works, yeah. actually. I think it causes a lot of, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of hidden trauma that is going to come out eventually. I don't think it works. <laughs> Oh, we all got our battles and stuff. I, I, for whatever reason, can't hack countryside. I don't really? fit in there. I don't no. feel like, yeah. No. Uh, it's probably me being a bit unfair because I think there's also a certain dynamic. People people are a bit uh, harsh against the countryside, but I think people need to take into account there's like a selection that just happens by itself in that most teenagers who want to see the world or who want to get an education and stuff, they'll have to, they'll leave. Right. And so you're left with a certain kind of people, the people who aren't really super interested in what happens outside the borders there. And they're hobbits essentially. Right. (laughs) And they ale and food and I'm good. Right. And, and uh, I think also the ones who come back to settle, they, well, they're, they're coming back to settle. And so they get kids. And so you don't, you know, you don't have much contact with them if, if you're somebody like me That's in true. the countryside. So yeah. you find that most people I can't relate to because they're not, they're not like me. They don't have the same interests. They can't I relate see. to me too. Obviously this is a two way thing. <laughs> but, well, yeah, well, so, so in the city, yeah, you do have that broader spectrum of life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to meet yeah. different and, and you're bound to match up with some group you know in in a city atmosphere and and again i see the value of that um but i don't know i tend to gravitate towards the simpler life the the quieter life the more rural life i think it kind of hit me in the face i think i talked with you about this before the first time i went uh to any kind of stand-up function in oslo there at steiner's uh, steiner's open mic and to see, and, and I don't want people to make the, I don't want to make this sound bad because, you know, the comics that I had been around, like from Dramen or Hoksund or, you know, Myondon out here are great people. But there was this very urban, this very uh, city 
thing <clears throat> among those comics. And also, and I'm like, whoa. And, and just to observe the way they talked, the way mm-hmm. that what they were doing when they were hanging out, how incredibly high they were. Good Lord. <laughs> some, some of them. There's a... There were quite a few, actually, who were All pretty right. doggone blasted. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. It's, it, it, there's a different mindset in the big city, and I think it permeates over all aspects uh, of this, you know, a city police officer is going to be different than a rural police officer. Right. You know, a bigger city comic, as I found out, thinks a little bit different and approaches the crowd in a different way than a smaller city comic does. It's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's also probably a different in demographics in terms of age and stuff like that. It's a I younger so. crowd at Steinarch than the, yeah, most yeah. of the guys you hang out with at Dome and stuff. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that... Uh, the comic gang hang thing is one of the best things ever for me because it's like anytime you lay out a joke or something, even if it doesn't hit or anything, it's like they know, okay, that was a joke and let's move on yeah, and yeah. get our jabs in. It, there's no worrying about propriety and stuff like that. And I don't mean that as in a sort of, finally, I can roll out my Holocaust jokes. <laughs> but, uh, but, but there is I, a sense I, of freedom. I, I, there yeah. is a sense of freedom when you're in that kind of a group. Freedom. And once people get into the groove and stuff like that, it's just, hilarious i yeah. i yeah i love i love hanging with comics it's something i miss the most right now it's it was my biggest social outlet so this lockdown is a bit of a bummer i'm i'm missing that as well uh I, I won't say that the lockdown is a bummer because i'm actually thriving but then that's there's that introvert side of me that mm. that 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 thrives in this or at least i'm not negatively affected however i do miss the stand-up scene um Man, I, I, I miss it. I really do. All, all my plans are blown. You know, it's uh, by next month was when I was going to have uh, started filming a one hour solo uh, all right. special from a uh, solo show for myself there. I, you know, that's just gone. I'm, there's just no way to, to do that now. So hopefully next year, you know what I uh, I'm, I'm in general, I'm an optimist, but I don't think we're going to be close to normal next year this time next year i do not think we'll be close to normal i think we're going to have a series where we're going to have to roll in lockdown to various degrees i think it's going to come and go a few more times in the next 12 months yeah now you're seeing news about mutated strains and mink farms and stuff like that too (laughs) mink farms what's going on with mink farms I didn't hear about oh, you. Know, I heard? No, oh, no. Uh, basically in Denmark. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This isn't conspiracy. <laughs> but somebody is, had sex uh, with Greece. a mink, and no, no. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I'm sure somebody did, but somewhere. Uh, that's not the, somewhere. That's There's not somebody. Reading. That guy yeah. exists. Okay. <laughs> In Greece and in Denmark, there's been these mink farms where they found these mutated strains that would risk sort of setting back uh, progress and uh, oh, wow. possibly let loose a more virulent, more resistant strains. So basically Denmark gave a full order to kill all mink that are being farmed. Wow, uh, I missed that. Out they, yeah, it turns out they did not have the legislation in place for that. So the prime minister had to walk it back and be like, oh, this, of course, we can only give this mandate. We can only mandate this for somebody whose farm is within so much distance of populations. I see. The other ones, they went along with it out of because they wanted to, you know, do what they were supposed to. And then it turns out, oh, they didn't have an obligation to do that. And they got kind of pissed off. But, you know, uh, I, I, I guess I don't think too much about it, but I think it's probably a legitimate thing to think on about this virus mutating and hopping out into the animal kingdom and then 
coming back to the to you know to humans with a with a different strain, which would then make all vaccine efforts uh, null and void. It's kind it's of possible. karmic when you think about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I killing killing all these animals to wear their soft hide. This is something we should be building down. I feel, but um, yeah, maybe this will be what gives them the impetus. How did we get onto this? The mink. <laughs> I think it's the shock of seeing you in your pajamas that kind of threw me off mentally. So I don't know. You don't see my pajamas. <laughs> I'm in a regular shirt. This is. Uh... You are the uh, second stand-up comic who has uh, spoken with me in their pajamas. Uh, Joachim, Joachim Eichity did the same thing. Yeah. But he was all like, like I don't know if he was trying to be sexy or something. He's all laid back on a stack of pillows. and, and, and I was going to say, I thought Joachim had and, his shit together. Uh, Joachim needs help. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> I think we need an intervention. <laughs> That's why I feel this kinship with him. All right. I love that guy. I love that guy. He's kind yeah, of, no, Joachim is kind of a renaissance uh, guy. He's, uh, he's an educator. He's a stand-up comic. Uh, he's into uh, mixed martial arts. He's yeah, kinda, that's surprising. He's kind of doing uh, doing a little bit of everything there. Yeah. Hats off to that yeah. guy. I, I love him. Yeah, me too. He's, uh, when I first saw him on stage, I gave, I gave him a pat on the back. I was like, that was your first time. You seem so comfortable. It's like I envy people who look like that because I know I'm yeah. shaking like a leaf in the beginning. I saw, I saw him in, in drum, and I don't think it was his first time, but one of his first times uh he was out here in drum and, and he was um you could hear it sounded like somebody was shaking him by the shoulders he was talking like you could hear the shaking oh, really? in his voice but he got through it and the material was good the delivery suffered because he was so nervous you could hear his voice shaking that's but weird the, i've never the, seen him nervous on yeah, stage yeah and, he was nervous. and his delivery is usually the best part of, yeah. uh, a lot of it, if, even if it doesn't work, his delivery is always pretty damn good. That, that night he had, and this is, I'm not trying to say anything bad about him. I yeah. love his comedy, yeah. but that night he was, he was very new and it was the opposite. The delivery <laughs> suffered because you could hear that he was nervous. But if you just listen to the material, it was good material. He got some laughs. In other words, he did. <laughs> that's uh that's Joaquin. But, uh, back to the, back to the lockdown. I, I don't mind so much. I just, I wish this had happened in my early twenties, or something, because <laughs> how would you have handled I, it then? I was so introverted. Actually, I was introverted. And I was struggling a lot with social anxiety, and so really? I stay indoors a lot. Oh yeah, I still do, but uh, I got a better handle on it now. And uh, and uh, if it happened then, I would have been like, all right, this isn't a drill. This is this is what I've been practicing for. Now, last March when it happened, I was like, oh man, the the year I turned extrovert is the because like, i've just been getting out like three four times a week hanging out with people having a blast i'm turning extrovert and then all of a sudden all lockdown, of a sudden unprecedented lockdown. yeah it's it's such screwed up timing it's funny as hell i felt i felt the timing of it as well not not because i was overcoming any anxiety i'll never ever overcome my anxiety but because mm -hmm. i was finally i was feeling like i was on a roll i had had a couple mm -hmm. of shows in a row trying out new material and and one time I bombed, but a couple other times this new material went really well, and it would have potentially expanded my my uh, routine that I was sure of out to about 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. So that's where I was, and then boom, the lockdown comes. And uh, What I always try to keep in mind is somebody out there was just about to get their big mm, break. Mm. Like, there was about to... Finally, put up something, and then <laughs> I know that guy. All of a sudden, COVID comes. COVID <laughs> comes and cockblocks it, and it's yeah. like, oh man, yeah, 
ducks ducks were lined up so so social anxiety is this is this whole thing with stand up is this like a uh, antidote is this like a self medicating uh self medicating against anxiety I'm not sure if I told you about this last time, but I did this job uh, going on the street trying to get um, just when I got to Oslo, I just was like, let's get any job. And I was like, let's get something that pushes me out of my comfort zone. And so I got a job where I was recruiting people on the street to donate to charity for uh, kids right, yeah. needing education and stuff like that. And after doing that for six months or five months and then kind of, kind of just my, I was, I was so insistent on persisting and getting this down because I was like, okay, this is learnable. It turns out I'm not cutthroat enough. You can, you can get people to say yes to shit they don't want if you're persistent enough, but yeah. I sense it in their eyes and I'm like, most big, good salesmen, they go like, you're, I'm going to make you say no, otherwise it's a yes. But for me, it's like, okay, I can sense the hesitancy. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. But, but I did that for a while, and I couldn't get the sales numbers up. And when winter came, I just crashed, and I was, like, down and out for three weeks because I was like, okay, I'm done with this, and I don't want to deal with anything. Now, how, how long ago back, was this? How long ago was this? This was last uh, – no, this is uh, uh, January 2019. Okay. Uh, was when, uh, when I, I – that's when I quit that job okay. and I've been doing it since like September, uh, September or something. Okay. And then, and then after that, uh, it took me, it took me a while, but once I got close to May, I was like, well, I've done this. I've gone on the street and engaged strangers, which was outlandish to me before. Uh, maybe this is the time to actually seek out some stage time. I've been, I've been meaning to be like, okay, this is for me and let's check it out. And you had the I, thought of doing stand up already. Oh, I yeah. had that for years. Yeah. I had that since uh, my mid twenties, I think. Okay. But I, I was in the countryside. There's no chance. Right. And secondly, right. secondly, I'm I've got stage fright, social anxiety, and I'm not particularly funny, at least in my mind. I, I wasn't then, and so I was like, but yeah, I'm not the guy for it. But I was like, I need to try at some point, and so I did. And lo and behold, it was the perfect outlet. Who knew? And then I talked to more and more comics and it turns out that huge insecurity and anxiety and stuff like that, that's pretty common. We are a messed up gang. Um, yeah. We really are. <laughs> Actually, one of the funniest, funniest aha moments I had was I tried to do this workshop in, uh, for improv and the guy was coming out and he was coaching people. I hope I didn't say this last time, but uh, it basically said that, uh, he said something like uh, improv people are the happiest, most the uh, you know um, sociable people you'll find. Okay. And I was like, ah, this is the other side of the coin. <laughs> For comedians, we're cats, and these guys are dogs, right? Yeah. And well, they, uh, their tails are wagging together, and they're, yeah. You you may you may have talked about that the last time. I can't remember. I don't remember anything. I mm. and and my listeners mm. don't. My listeners never come back. They hear one episode, <laughs> and they disappear. So every week is a new uh, <laughs> it's a new set of listeners. So if you repeat yourself, it's okay. But let All me right. ask you this about the improv thing. Uh, did you do that with thoughts of possibly getting into acting? Oh no. No, no. no. I, I've got a one track mind. Really, I want to okay. do stand up. And so that was basically other. Yeah, if other doors open, that's cool. So the, but so I just the, wanted to. So the improv right. thing was just to get you kind of in that being on stage and performing state of mind. That yeah, the the getting a quick being quick on and, your, yeah. Yeah. yeah, quick on your feet and just practicing that. And I was like, it's it's a lot of people talk about doing improv and how, how how it ties into the creative, you know, comic arts and stuff like that. So I was like, it's it's 
it's free. I can go try it out and let's let's see what I can do to gain new perspectives that might help me. I, it turns out I I feel like it didn't do much for me, but it was one workshop, so uh, I, I'm probably being a bit too short with it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, it's um but you you would take you're not one of those guys who will will miss an opportunity because you have that one track mind, are you? And you know, what if you got an opportunity to be an actor? Would you have the would you have the cojones to, to say yes to that? Now I would, yeah. When I was now younger you I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm I'm more of the mindset that you wind up regretting more the things that you didn't do, right? So Yes. Yeah. And uh yeah, I don't know, it depends they wouldn't shove me on the stage for a show or behind the camera and put it out unless I can do it. So it's like, if I screw up, it's like, okay, the set knows the rest yeah. of the world doesn't know. That's right. I, actually, I do have some screen time this year. Do <laughs> <laughs> Technically as a background artist, right? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. I was an extra for a show called Noshkish, like the first episode or something. So they, they needed people for in 17th of May outfits. And I got this Boonod, this West Coast Boonod. <laughs> and I, I showed up and, um, Fake small talk in the background. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> why can't somebody? Why can't somebody write that script here in Norway where they call for a, uh, you know, uh, a fifty-year-old, hundred and thirty-kilo uh, black guy from the states? Where I want that role. Okay, I want that role. Somebody write that for me. <laughs> they'll, they'll outsource that. They got that. They got that one guy from the wire in for like Lilyhammer when they needed a. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sourcing. There was this, um, so this is going back some years. This is, wow, at least 15 years ago here in Norway. They had a series of commercials for something, and I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was a lot of, it was TV ads for some food product, like a, um, like a boil and bag type of thing, Findus or, some, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to play on it being like a derivative of American cuisine oh yeah and they would have um they they were they had these actors these like they would have white people that you would just think these are white americans but you can hear obviously in the way they're speaking english they're not americans they're norwegians playing the part of an american and it's like come on i i know there's at least a handful of americans here who could you know could step in and, and 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 do that role yeah it's like uh and then what got me the worst was they would have a, they had like a black guy come on. Uh, and, and, and it's like, he's, he's black and there's black guys in America, but this guy's African. Listen to how he talks. <laughs> and it's like, come on, <laughs> there's room for me in there somewhere. I was going to say, uh, I remember there was an advert for uh, pizza or something on TV and it was like California pizza. And uh, <laughs> my wife, she's from LA and, yeah. and she pointed out like, First of all, there's a lot of meat on that pizza. If you know Californians. They're not going to have that. <laughs> mm. uh, and second of all, that girl talking about the pizza, she doesn't even have a West Coast accent. And and it miffed her a bit. But it's like for, for the most of the target audience, that's not going to matter at all. They, they're not yeah, going to pick up on know, that. Oh. Yeah, I know. I get it. I'm a stickler for that stuff, too. It's yeah. like some people out there are going to pick it up and it's going to undermine you yeah. in their heads. Well, it makes it seem less than professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, somebody will discover me. You need a black guy in a commercial <laughs> or a film run right here. I'll do it. When I make it big and well, I've already got a token black guy. Um uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
if something happens to that guy, I know a lot of stuff oh, happens I can be to a you backup. guys. So I can be a backup. Yeah, yeah, he might get shot <laughs> yeah. by the police or something, man. And hey. <laughs> You said it, not me. <laughs> we have a, we have a, you know, there's dog years and then there's black guy years. We don't, we don't live as long as you guys. Dep- depends on the police, as you say, they're different here. <laughs> uh, I, I remember this is this is funny. Uh, I had a friend visit me from Germany, and uh, and my ex-wife was going with, with us too. And uh, you know, American, Norwegian, and a German <laughs> go out right. And after after sounds like the start of a we, dirty joke. I uh, know. So there's a bl- there's an American and a Norwegian and a German. <laughs> they walk into a gas station because it was we'd just been out drinking a bit and we were like let's get some grub and it's the only place that's open on the mm. countryside where I'm at and we, we were standing in line and there was this guy uh, uh, this, uh, this policeman big burly policeman standing in line behind this guy and this guy turns around to him and goes you know they don't sell donuts here <laughs> <laughs> and the policeman just had this big grin on his uh, face he's like oh that's hilarious that's and, a good uh, one yeah <laughs> yeah I, I love that but it's just like nah, let's rip the policeman a bit i think i think norwegian police would tolerate that kind of joking from the public better than american police would norwegian police seem a little bit more laid back less um less aggressive less ready for a fight less looking for a fight <laughs> For now, let's see what happens once the social systems have been eroded here. And, Do you think that's going to happen, though, anytime oh, soon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're working towards it. You've been seeing them building down uh, measures. It's so funny to me, like, in the 80s and stuff, I wasn't alive. But from what I understand, we did not have to close, uh, uh, like, uh, infant uh, infant uh, sections of hospitals and have, like, oh, if your infant's got a heart problem, it's got to need to be airlifted now. Like, they're closing down services and hospitals. On the West Coast and in, uh, in, uh, where I'm from, we had to, like, rally and go with torches and show our support for the I local hospital that. in Volda. I yeah. remember that. Yes, Volda, yeah. Yeah, and, and if they shut that down, like, there's people – an hour south who rely on that and after after that it's like oh we need to get across take a ferry or get airlifted to get to somebody if it's urgent but it's like how much money are you going to waste on that we how got much competency to, are you going to lose you know we got to ride on one of those twin prop uh hospital planes when oh, yeah. yeah um now snoopy's probably gonna yell at me for putting her uh, her uh, medical situation out there but there was um let me, how do I say this? Let me edit myself here. For whatever reason, okay, for whatever reason, when she was pregnant with our son, our daughter at that time was like a year and a half, almost two years. But we all had to pile on this plane because we had to be flown to the hospital in Hammerfest. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to drive there would have taken, you know what, if, if yeah. the road was open, you know, four, four and a half hours. Yeah. And we had a medical emergency. We had to go now. Hmm. And uh, and then when it was time for our son to be born, we had, you know, the, the term date came, uh, nine months for humans, 10 months for crazy people like my wife. And the term <laughs> date came for him to be born. And we actually planned it. We actually said, okay, now we drive to the hospital and they will induce the labor. Hmm. All because if something were to happen, it's going to take us hours if the road, he was born in December. So this is in the middle of wintertime and the roads sometimes are not open. And then what would we do? What if the air, what if the, you know, the weather is just so bad you can't get a helicopter uh, in. 
What are we going to do? Yeah. So we had to it's such a land of plenty to have uh, logistics be a medical issue. It's, well, it's, I think uh, it's a weird. shame. Well, I think it's a shame. Yeah. And and uh, my, my my point was going to be we're richer than we've ever been like we're living off interest. And, but the social and, services are being less and less available. And we still have to cut in yeah. essential services and stuff. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's crazy to me that we're so prosperous for you know and so much richer than we were in the 80s but our our considerations done by politicians are different and you see them raising the you know you see them raising the wages for themselves <laughs> and then lowering them for other people no we're not lowering but not keeping not keeping pace with the uh, with inflation right and then the but, tax they lower the taxes a little bit so i get like 200 yeah, kroner more a year yeah, it's like yeah. that's gee thanks you know <laughs> yeah that'll help yeah but but isn't there something to be said for the way norway has handled the corona situation people have done fairly well there's not this large number of unemployed there's not a yes businesses are struggling yeah, but we're not seeing businesses go under like people had predicted. Yeah, yeah. In a time of crisis, you there's know, something to be all, said for that. Yeah, this is a perception thing. You can't spin it if you let uh, business and people people's lives collapse, right? So yeah. I think I also think that's partially behind some of the measures. They want to show that they're acting, that they're doing something about it. So sometimes the measures they implement are for show more than for effect. Yeah. For example, closing down, you see a restaurant business, and what we're talking about, comedy and opportunities, yeah, yeah. bars and stuff like that, right? And bars and restaurants are have been shown to have some of the lowest transmission rates you'll find. It's like it's not really where it happens. And they're being closed down, and I think it's mainly for show, and those are the businesses that are going to be struggling going forward. Uh, apparently... Yeah, a lot of a lot of people are talking about bankruptcies and like you're only going to have the main actors who then can consolidate and buy up more real estate and homogenize everything. Right? But did you see here a couple of days ago they came out with some numbers about how much money musicians are getting? Oh yeah, yeah. For example, like Kurt Nielsen is getting like 13 million to compensate yeah. for concerts that he hasn't been able to hold. Uh, other I hope that's going to his uh, people in the, in the background for well, as well. Well, I was going to say, I would hope, because that 13 million is not 13 million that he would have made personally. I hope he does filter that down through yeah. his his uh, support system, you know, his crew, if you will. Uh, and I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I would hope they put measures in place to ensure that that's the way it works. Yeah, there are caps for other industries, so that's. Yeah. Uh, I saw that case, so it's curious. Yeah, I don't know that you can get that many millions, and then the cap for other people is like I don't know, what is it under four hundred thousand or something? Something like that. Like that yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think of people like uh, like our good friend Zahid Ali. Okay, yeah. he's not a musician, but he is a professional actor slash comic who yeah. hasn't been able to work even close to the to the to his capability due to yeah. COVID. But I doubt that he's gotten a single red penny from the Norwegian government. I'm wondering how do they choose to have such focus in supporting musicians, which is a good thing. I'm a musician. Um, I didn't get 13 million for concerts I would have missed. But uh, they do this for, for, for one branch of the arts, but not for another. Sahid Ali's got a sense of humor. He'll be all right. <laughs> he'll, he'll laugh his way through poverty. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure how they. I'm not sure. I'm not, not taking a look at the language and stuff. Generally, if I take a look at politics and stuff, I, I tend to be more global minded. 
or look towards major centers like the U.S., right? So I, I have way more of a clue about the U.S. election and primaries than I do about the Norwegian process. Well, that so. is a thing. That is a thing here in Norway. You guys are much more occupi- preoccupied with the American political system than your own. Yeah, I think most most people don't have a clue, though, I don't think. Uh, I think that's – but but you got a lot of junkies that do – and I think this goes for around the world in general – because the U.S. is significant to other countries, sure, right? Sure, sure. Uh, but I'm, I think I'm above average when it comes to sort of, uh, you know, like I said, I've followed the primaries for the Democrats both in 2015, oh. 16, and this year. Yeah. I was terribly disappointed both times yeah. by how it played out. And uh, and also it's it's precursor for what's, I mean, you see the same sort of stuff happening here. Like the Progress Party, they talked a bunch of years ago about uh um, uh, for-profit prisons or uh, private prisons. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's. Have you taken a look? What's happening <laughs> elsewhere? Good lord, I don't understand how that is. How does the human race accept something like that? It's such a disgusting way of doing things. Uh, and I, I'm not one of these people who's like an ultra liberal and thinks that we that that America should be soft on crime. But yeah. good Lord, the way they're running things now with the for-profit prisons and this, this pipeline, especially in communities of color, this pipeline from, you know, from the cradle <laughs> to the prison system. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's abhorrent that people can make money off that. And I, I saw a documentary recently, that kind of uh, not recently, a few years ago, but uh, it, the house that Jack built, I think it's called. Okay. And I was, that taught me a lot. I've, I've, uh, the drug policy and prison policies have been like a major pet peeve of mine because it's, you know, throwing a lot of money to little effect and that money could go to other services that would do way more, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And then I saw, you saw like the convention selling the restraints and the tasers and this, that, and the other. And they were kind of like, yeah, this is the new top of the line T500, you know, and it's, it's like, oh, okay, this is a thriving business. Yeah, where yeah. yeah. It's, it's not about the service that a prison is supposed to provide in terms of keeping people safe and reforming and rehabilitating people. It's uh, it's it's not about that anymore. It's about, what is it, Toys R Us? They get some labor out of it and stuff, yeah, too. You know? It's uh, Yeah, it's kind of sick. Let me, let me back you up a little bit. You... Uh, was it a documentary you're talking about? The house that Jack built. Yeah. I just yeah. I just looked that up and I'm getting a movie called yeah. that. Is that is it a movie or is it a documentary? It's a documentary. It's this guy who decided to. He had like a housekeeper, and uh, the, her family had been falling in hard times, and he looked into that, and it turned out that you know the prison industrial complex had had a okay, role in that, and the drug policies. This is about okay. This is a movie with Matt Dillon. Okay, so that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> that's not it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the name of it, the house that Jack built. Well, but, I can't uh, find it on Wikipedia, so I think you're lying. No, I love documentaries like that. I love documentaries like that. I was trying to find it. Yeah. Another thing that blew my mind about that one, though, was they were talking about the – here's the timeline of – I'd heard this kind of point before from uh, – if you're familiar with Noam Chomsky, he, he yes. talks about how, like, in the 1800s in the UK, uh, they made gin illegal, but brandy was fine. And so poor yeah. people could be prosecuted because they drink gin. Rich people with their brandy, they're fine. And, uh, and that it's more tied to class than anything. It's a way to regulate well. dangerous masses. And uh, they talk about how 
the opiate illegality in the UK, in yes. California. Yes. That was to keep down Chinese people. Tinctures with opiates, those are fine. Smoke your opiates, you go to jail. And uh, Well, it's also yeah. the way uh, during the 80s and 90s, and to the best of my knowledge, even today, the way they prosecute uh, possession of powder cocaine quite different versus, crack. The, yeah. versus crack. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a question of uh, class. It's a question of uh, economy. How rich are you? We're going to treat yeah. you accordingly. How poor are you? We're going to treat you accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I believe Norway's sliding that way. I don't want to be alarmist and be like, oh, we're pretty much, you know, it's, a, but it's, it's a slow thing. It's the boiling of the toad, right? It's, it doesn't notice. And yeah. I think it's good to be vigilant and not necessarily be like, oh, this is where we're headed, but to I be very mindful. I don't, I'm real careful about what I say because I, I truly believe that I need to keep my mouth shut to a certain degree because I'm just a visitor here. Uh, I was on um, on uh, NRK uh, news, and they referred to me as a Norwegian American. I'm not. Mm. I'm just an American yeah. who happens to live here. Everybody assumes that I'm that I that I have my Norwegian citizen citizenship. I do not, and because oh. of that, I feel like I I I can't talk as much shit about Norway as I want to. But I will say this: there are a lot of things in Norway that are out of place, and. If they are not fixed, you know, like you said, Norway is in this development. It's in this slow change that is happening. And, and I, I get the feeling that things are not going to be recognized for what they are because the change is so long in coming to Norway. Yeah. But then all of a sudden people are going to blink and Norway is going to be a society with some huge problems. It's not yeah. there yet, but I think it's coming. You see it already in Oslo, where the east-west divide, yes, right? And exactly. people in the west, actually, you, in the west of Oslo, actually in the affluent areas, they actually use more drugs than in the east. They get taken up for it less. There's, uh, yeah, health, education, lifespans. You know, those things are, you just look to the east and it's just scoring yeah. lower on all those things. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's obvious. Real estate's cheaper there, so certain type of people wind up there more often and they wind up having less opportunities because they live in these clusters and that area gets kind of like shunted to the side as problematic. And I don't say too much, right? yeah, I don't say too much negatively, you know, out in, <laughs> in public, but uh, here at home, I go back and forth with Snoopy all the time and I, I, I tell her that to me sometimes Norway looks like the United States did in 1950 where there's this uh, upper class of people who think everything is beautiful and it's the best time uh, ever in the nation but you've got this underclass that's not being yep. seen that's not being heard um, and the overclass thinks that they are these, they almost look at uh, this underclass as if they are infantile, like, oh, we'll take care of them. You know, they, oh, they don't appreciate what we're doing for them. Oh, you know, things like that. And I do believe that it's going to bubble and, and boil over and it's going to become a revolutionary period in Norway. Maybe not within my lifetime, but maybe within your lifetime, we're going to see some enormous social changes and challenges in Norway. I believe that. I'm hoping to see a global realization of, for example, just that unchecked capitalism and eternal growth cannot be, you know, they just won't work. No. Uh, you, you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't. You're going to run out of resources at some point. Well, you can't just go worked, mining planets. If it worked, the stock market wouldn't crash periodically yeah. like it does. If it worked, if it was a sustainable system, then we wouldn't see these issues. But uh, I was going to say, um, 
I feel like obviously people talking about like the U.S. and Americans are like this and then it's like people by and large are the same, right? Yes. So why would we think that we're immune to it? We're just at a different stage of development. And uh, I think, I don't know, it'd be, inter- it'd be interesting to see how people get together. It's like if it's a big disaster, that's one thing. Post-World War, let's rebuild. Everybody rallies together. But when it comes to something and, and then you've got the PR industry playing people against each other. Like, one of the things I see a lot that peeves me off a lot is people talking about uh, these immigrants, these refugees, they come over and they get so and so many tens of thousands to settle and do this and that, and they get paid this and that much. Often those numbers are completely wrong, for one. Uh, And secondly, and and then they start contrasting it to my poor uncle is struggling with health and Nav isn't helping her out much. And I'm like, wait, how does that tie to that? I'm pretty sure the tax breaks and people putting their money in tax havens and stuff like that. I think that's a bigger drain on social uh, spendings than than some poor refugees getting some help. Uh, I can't remember what the what the uh, news item was, but there was something on NRK's um, uh, social media, and people were going crazy with comments like, you know, what you said about how, how all yeah. of these immigrants are getting so much. And some uh, lady came on, a uh, Norwegian lady came on, and she wrote uh, something to the effect of um, when, when black and brown immigrants... Uh, having easier life than I do, then there's something wrong with Norway. Wow! And and I I wanted to comment. I I'm starting to comment a little bit more on those kind of uh, social media uh, pages now. But at that time, I was still kind of holding back. But uh, no, it's 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 fun. It's fun. No, but at that time, I was holding back. But my comment would have been, you know, she says when black and brown immigrants are doing better than I, and I'm thinking. Yeah, when black and brown immigrants are doing better than you, then we're living in bizarro world because I cannot think <laughs> of a more privileged or person who should be more comfortable in Norwegian society than a white ethnic Norwegian woman. Yeah. I I'm very comfortable in my skin. I'm proud to be a black American. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I wish I was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white woman, Norwegian. You want to find the country that has the most uh, or the mo- the highest level of um, workplace equality between men and women? That's Norway. You mm-hmm. want to find the society that has uh, some of the highest number of educated women? That's Norway. What is this yeah. woman and women like her complaining about? Yeah, and, and I wonder what would the corroll- corollary feel like to her? Like, would she be like... If if white people are better off than black and brown people, <laughs> exactly, all is normal and well. Exactly. Like, is that what you're saying? I don't see how she could compare herself, a woman who probably can trace her her roots, her generational roots to Norway for a thousand years back, and hmm. she's living here and she's enjoying all of the great things that you know. Norway is a little jacked up, but it's also a wonderful place to live. So we have to say both sides. So here she is living in this wonderful country, enjoying all of its benefits, probably highly educated, very unlikely that she's met any workplace discrimination. Mm -hmm. How can she compare herself to these black and brown immigrants who probably are coming from a place that's been torn up by war? They've probably seen loved ones killed or persecuted. Mm -hmm. And then they come to a country with people like her (laughs) saying that they have it so well. How can she compare herself to somebody like that? 
shock horror. Somebody who needs more help than you is getting more help than you. That's, hello, uh, hello. I'm not. I'm not saying there are not Norwegians who are being underserviced by our social system. Sure, and the elderly, might, might the elderly for doing, example, the el- elderly, yeah. for example. Yeah, they might be doing better if they're a fresh refugee or something. And this, what they get in the beginning, but to me, that's nothing compared to how much the system's given you in terms of education, healthcare, this, that, and the other. Like they, they're just coming here. They're probably gonna. I, when it comes to at least uh, the refugees I've come across, they tend to be really hardworking. They have an oh, yeah. ethos that Norwegians to- don't. We're all, all about their work-life balance, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. And we know we don't have to try as hard to come across as right. good. So, well, one, one thing that I think Norwegians in general and Americans in general um, under they don't put enough value on their own generational wealth. What, what is gen- uh, what, what is ge- what is generational wealth? Okay, I I have money. I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm more than comfortable financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, generational wealth is displayed when you are 21 years old. You're freshly married. You want to buy a house. You can't afford it. You can't afford the down payment, Mm -hmm. but your parents give you the down payment. That's that's because of generational wealth. Yeah. Um, Generational wealth is denied. Uh, It's been it's been denied people like me in America. Mm -hmm. You know, we only have to go back to 1921 with the Tulsa. I hate it that they call it the Tulsa race riots because it wasn't a race riot. It was a massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where, um, where the white populace came in and literally leveled the city of Tulsa, which at that point had been built up by ex slaves and the children of slaves to be at that time, a modern day wall street type of thing. Tons of wealth and, you know, their own banks and businesses and uh, the average uh, wealth of a black person in that city was higher than the average wealth for the nation at a whole at that time. Um, That was the beginning of some generational wealth. That would have been what? um, Like my grandmother was born in 1919. So I could be the third generation of wealth Mm. in my family. And instead, I'm the first, maybe barely the first. Because of things like that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <clears throat> because, because of things like that. Uh, you know, and then you have here in Norway, you know, everybody is very familiar with the laws of inheritance, art of Eloven and stuff, where things get passed down from father to son to son or, you know, mother to daughter to daughter. And that wealth stays within the family. And that is such a foundation from which people can, can, can jump to, to new heights. Hmm. And I don't see, uh, I see very few black and brown people here in Norway who can talk on the subject of generational wealth. They don't know what it is. They've never seen it. They've never experienced it. So for, again, for a blonde haired, blue eyed, ethnic white woman here in Norway to say that these immigrants who have just come here have it better than her, I I don't get it. it is relevant that diversity is kind of a new concept to us. We're so homogenous. We still are. That's another thing that tickled my my ex wife because she's from LA. Like I said, yeah. she was she was a minority in her own neighborhood. Okay. And uh, she was wigged out by how many white people were around her on the West Coast. She's like, "This is not normal. I'm used to having more Asians around me." <laughs> and and uh, people in Norway, we, we 
this is, I guess this is kind of, when you're used to being the majority or just even the, the dom- total, there's no minorities around you at all. Like it, when I grew up uh, on the West Coast, then it doesn't take a lot for you to be like, oh man, they're everywhere, right? So one or two pop up and all of a sudden it's a flood. Whereas to other people, it's like, you don't have anything like diversity yet. So I think we're just sensitive to it and we're still kind of new in being a multicultural society. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw a black man? Mm. And I'm not talking a brown man. I'm not talking someone from Pakistan or India. I'm talking a black man, black skin, Mm -hmm. African descent. When was the Mm -hmm. last time you saw a black man on Norwegian news? Speaking, not being spoken about, TV. not being spoken about, but speaking. I don't watch TV outside of streaming and stuff, so I wouldn't know. Oh, um, man. But yeah, when I think about it, yeah, no, that is something I can't point to anything in my, like you said, the Pakistanis and stuff like that. Those are a bit longer history here yeah, like yeah. from the 60s, 70s. But uh, yeah, yeah. I can answer that. Um, I have yet to see a black man on a Norwegian news program that is strictly news, not entertainment. I'm not talking like MadCon mm. when they were popular and they were right. on Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeld uh, with, uh, what are they, what's his name, Harald and, and whoever, yeah, or, or, yeah. or Skavlan or something like that. I'm talking about a black man on the news speaking about something that didn't have to do with entertainment or sports. I've you never didn't seen see Chava talking about COVID. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll say this: I've I've never seen it. Uh, I yeah. could have seen it if I watched myself. Yeah, or, or, I haven't seen I haven't seen my own recordings on there. But that and, and I th- I was talking with my wife, and I actually had another person. I don't want to name them. No, I'll name her. Yeah. Kim Fairchild, uh, mm-hmm. great vocalist uh, and actress, uh, black woman, American roots, mm-hmm. American and Jamaican. Uh, and she told me, uh, she kind of challenged me in a way because, you know, my podcast, as everyone hears, is basically just conversations with people who I admire. Yes, I admire you, Idik. Oh. <laughs> but but when, I, but when I go solo on my podcast, I am talking about social and political things, but then with a focus mm-hmm. on all things United States. Kim Fairchild right. said, I should turn my focus more to all things Norway because there mm. are no black men. Yeah. None in the yeah. mainstream image of Norway who are speaking on those things. We are spoken about when we do something mm. wrong. We are there to entertain mm-hmm. uh, on national TV, on some of these late night, you know, these uh, Friday night programs when in, you know, in, in the context of entertainment or, or sports or something. But Kim Fairchild said, I would be looked up to and I would probably feel pretty good if I would turn my focus to Norwegian issues because there's no black well, man doing that. You've been invited on TV to, to talk. I'm, an, in, I'm assuming because uh, I, I didn't check it out. Man, uh, see, I'm TV digging for compliments. I'm digging to get a fan and you haven't even seen. No, I uh, <laughs> last last the last couple of weeks. When was it? Two, two weeks ago. I had four uh, national radio and TV appearances here in yeah. here in Norway, and of course, it's you know I'm I'm kind of halfway joking about it, but it is a very humbling experience to 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 to, to be given the opportunity. 
to speak my mind on a national platform like that. It's incredibly humbling, uh, mm-hmm. very cool, <laughs> but very yeah. humbling and a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, but you were probably it was about U.S. election and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. Yes, but also that's, something, that's, but also some things that have to do with what's happening in Norway as well. Right, right. And again, I and I told you I'm a little bit careful about speaking yeah. my true mind about Norwegian things because I feel like I'm just a guest. But my but my point my point is is that you know being up in all of that and getting that kind of uh, opportunity on a national platform, a, a news platform, it was very humbling. Mm. It was very daunting and and and. Um, I, I did well, but it was it was a lot. It was a huge experience. But I was looking at it more uh, from my own experience. But people like Kim Fairchild, uh, people like Snoopy, my wife, and a couple mm-hmm. other friends like, hey, man, step back and think about what just happened. Mm-hmm. Because we don't see black men speaking uh, at that level uh, mm-hmm. of exposure with that you know, from, with that viewpoint, with that type of eloquence. And I'm like, huh, you know what? They're right. I've never seen it either. And I never uh, thought about that before. Neil deGrasse Tyson made this point, an astrophysicist, right? He, he was talking mm-hmm. about how when he grew up he, and was getting into astrophysics, it felt a bit like he was uh, indulging himself because, you know, there's bigger issues for the black community to deal with than what's going on in this core of stars. And then... Uh, when he got invited on TV to talk about some uh, uh, astronomic phenomenon or something going on, uh, he he paused and thought, "Wow, this is. I think this might have been the first time where uh, an African American's on TV, not talking about something pertaining to the black experience, yes. uh, right? So if 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 you get on TV as a minority, often it's minority related stuff. It's not about the wider picture. Exactly. We got white people for that. Exactly. Yeah." yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and th- these things, the, f- the first time I got on uh, TV, I was on uh, Gumon Norge, and that was specifically about um, the uh, the racism issue in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that was a black issue. Uh, but yeah. I didn't feel exploited or anything. I was, uh, again, honored that I got to speak from such a platform. But this time around, they weren't looking for me to speak as a black man. They were looking for me to speak as an American mm-hmm. living in Norway. And... And again, I didn't really think about it at the time, but some some people have helped me to recognize how significant that was. Mm. Or was it not significant? Am I just another guy? You know, screw all this with responsibility to the black community. There's nothing special about this. You know, I'm just a guy. I don't know. Which, I which one is I w- it? I wouldn't worry about it now. Check the history books in a couple of decades. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 2020. Yeah. Milestone moment. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say... No, go ahead. Go ahead. uh, Well, I'm about to derail it a tiny bit, so if you want to... Oh, man. You're you're a dream killer, aren't you? No, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was just going to say, you talk about being hesitant about talking about the Norwegian society and picking at it from an outsider. Yes. Uh, Do you feel... I had this discussion with a, with a friend of mine from Malawi, uh, a fellow comedian called Anthony Kalinde. Yes. Uh, who I forgot I mean, to give a shout out to last time. I forgot and, about it. You were talking about English co- speaking comics. And who I forgot to get in touch with, I believe the last time we spoke some months ago, you had told me about him. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to contact him. And I haven't. And you didn't check the I Stuart did. Lee clips. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to get on your back about that. Uh, Ah. But uh, but I was going to say, um, I, I've, I've been talking with him about it. He disagrees with me. But I find that Norwegians are exceptionally thin-skinned when it comes to criticism of our oh, country. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I can't even get a full sentence out, you know, but Norway, and then people are just telling me to shut up and appreciate yeah. where I am. And, and, yeah. and what about America? What about America? And it's like, Hey, I see yeah. it too. You know, are you number one on the world rankings? Yeah. No. You know, well, then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Norwegians do have thin skin. You guys have this, mm -hmm. uh, it's an almost striking pride yeah. in your country. And that pride kind of blocks I think it blocks people from seeing the reality of Norway, which it's a good country, but it is very flawed as well. Actually, having done social work and stuff like that I, with teenagers, I, 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 I find that I think it's a different dynamic than pride. I think it's insecurity because Norway after, you know, Vikings, that's cool. And then, and then what? Like, wipes <laughs> us out. Denmark takes us over. Did you know uh, they Sweden. named? Did you know they named a rat after you guys? Rattus Norvegicus. There yeah. you go. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> did you also know that, that that they named a skin disease after you guys? Norwegian Wait, which one? Sca Norwegian scabies. Oh really? It's like there's scabies and then there's Norwegian scabies. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that better True. or worse? Wait. You know what? I I I don't know. I think the Norwegian scabies is more privileged. Probably. I don't know. Don't want none of that foreign scabies. <laughs> Domestic no, I, scabies <laughs> all the way. No, I, I don't. And again, I, I love living here. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm constantly homesick. I do miss my homeland. I think that at its best, my homeland is the best place to live. But, you know, I, I'm doing fine here, Noy, but, but it is it is flawed. Just the yeah. very fact, you know, I have to go back to this whole thing about my, my media appearances. And this isn't to brag about my media appearances because it mm -hmm. hasn't brought me any profit. <laughs> but but. To go back to that, I hadn't really thought much about, I mean, I, I felt how cool it was. I felt how intimidating it was. And I evaluated my, my appearances, my performance, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. But I didn't really think about there being any kind of landmark social significance, like, like my wife and Kim Fairchild and a couple other people are saying. Mm -hmm. And when I think about it, that's pretty sad. That but that is such the a case. Big deal. Yeah. Why? Why do you think? You know, you're Norwegian. You know your people. Why mm -hmm. do you think it is that you don't see black men on that platform speaking about those kind of things? Why is that? I'm not the only mm -hmm. one. I'm not the only one that's thinking about these things. No, I, I got a friend called Abdi Said. He's uh, he's a politician, quite outspoken and stuff, but he, he doesn't get on national TV about it, or most that? of the, most of the time. Why do you think they, that is? They probably feel like they have more senior sources to draw on, people with more experience and more of a credentialed people. And, and why would yeah, they? They're not, they're not among the most credentialed people yet, I guess. And, and why do you if think, they were, there would still be a bias, right? But why do you think, well, bias, maybe, maybe not. But, but uh, if we agree on your statement as fact that there are mm -hmm. uh, a majority of people that are, you know, accredited and, and, uh, and uh, recognized as authentic, uh, yeah. most of those people are white. Why? Why is that? Because I, d I don't think, or do you think? Uh, I'll put. I'll pose it as a question. Do you think that uh, black people are properly represented, percentage-wise, in oh. fields of you know academia, uh, the political sphere? Uh, because isn't society, isn't a democratic society, supposed to reflect its citizenry? Yeah, sure it is. Uh, but, so I mean, uh, 
there's there's uh like it's it's so interesting in norway somalis have a reputation for being among the most problematic refugees to deal with right yeah. somalis and afghanis have poor reputations yeah. this isn't me saying that it's deserved or no, anything but no, that is yeah. the rep- that is the word on the street that they yeah. are the difficult ones yeah to talk to Americans and say Minnesota or something, which apparently has the highest population of Somalis are like next yeah. in the ethnicity after Norwegians yeah. there. Yeah. And talk talk to them and they have a good impression of Somalis. Yeah. You guys did a brain drain on them back when they weren't a completely failed state and we're getting a lot influx of a lot of people who good point. didn't learn to read and write and good stuff point. like that. So yeah. yeah. They, they start. They start with. Uh, they need a. They need a leg up, and they need some time. I think to get there because uh, here, the demographics for black people in Norway is different. Well, I was going to say here in here in Norway there are other. You know, Somalis are not the demographic of black people in yeah. Norway. There are other nations that are represented uh, mm-hmm. uh, among those black people. So again, yeah. what's happening? that is prohibiting us from seeing more of these black people in prominent positions to where they can get to that national platform and put a narrative out there. Whether you agree with the narrative or not, you can at least see that there are, that there are more black people that can speak from that platform, which would then change the national view of what black people are all about. Because believe me, I see that view. I I feel that on my skin if you will uh quite yeah. often yeah you know well we know for we know for a fact that name uh, the wrong kind of name can get your yeah. name tossed out of the, the the cv bunch right so i think it's probably that you know there's a there's a there's a conscious or unconscious well both bias uh, against people from other countries and stuff like that uh i know and it's and there's a hierarchy, I think. So you know, Eastern Europeans, and then you you know you make your way down to Africa, I guess. And it's it's terrible, and it's it's uh, holding it back progress, but it's yeah. it's there. It's human nature. I think humans. Th- this goes back to what we were talking about politics earlier. I, our brains are not made to make sense. They're made to survive and to function. And so mo- our brains aren't set up in any sensical way. And we have to really be on guard against our biases. We have to train and we'll still fail, even the most enlightened among us. Uh, like I worked with refugees. I worked with refugees for seven years, Eritreans, Ethiopians, Somalians, um, um, <laughs> Afghanis, and and. I, can, I even I if I remember on the West countryside if I went into a mall and I'll see a group of say Somalis or something and they're going at it in their own tongue and stuff like that I know there's a small corner of my brain that goes these guys are taking up a lot of room you know, with their <laughs> being imposing and and I that part of my brain I do not agree with can't you go there. can't you go and be Somali somewhere else <laughs> yeah right I mean this is not the place for it Norwegian please right? and it's <laughs> terrible and I don't agree with it at all yeah. but it's there you think so you think that's a natural me, do you think that's oh, yeah, a natural we, reaction or is that a learned reaction you look at uh, I think there's plenty of research towards toddlers even where you can the the training and the bias starts early it starts really early they notice in group out group early even though you see kids not caring about it mm. they notice and they do treat differently there's there's plenty of psychological research on this yeah but i could point to research that says the opposite that kids you know that all of this stuff has to be taught uh for a kid to even recognize different skin colors uh that is something that has to be taught almost 
There's research that points yeah, to this. Yeah, maybe, well. maybe, but they they start picking up really darn early, at least. I know. Sure that's they do. Sure they do. Too. Yeah, and that's why it's important that you have the right parents. <laughs> if you yeah. got some hillbilly beer drinking racist parents, then you're almost condemned from the get go to at least for a large period of your life fall right into that line of thinking and that world unless view. you're a rebel unless you're a rebel but then if you're a rebel <laughs> aren't you a hillbilly beer drinking uh, yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> a lot of definitions for that word oh but I, boy yeah. <laughs> yeah actually it's it's interesting talking about the stuff that uh that starts early uh babies apparently cry at different pitches depending on what uh like french babies and german babies cry oh. at different pitches Oh, really? They already start attuning themselves a bit uh, from what they hear inside the, the belly of the uh, mother. It's, yeah, it's, uh, so I think humans, I think we're not as conscious creatures as we think we are. I think we're a lot more a bag of tricks. I think uh, a lot of us, uh, yeah, I think a lot of what makes us human is an automated thing. I do believe mm-hmm. that. But I also believe in the power of reason. I believe, oh, yeah. I also believe in the power, power of the heart. In other words, that we all essentially wish one another well but that there's a lot of ugliness in society that gets in the way of that to where Mm -hmm. we become more selfish more judgmental of others less receptive you know all of those things i think those things are learned i don't think that's human nature some people argue that that is i think human nature is the opposite human nature is giving sharing uh uh compassion that's what i I, I truly believe within the in-group you know what? I'm going to come back to that because you, you, uh, I'm a man who likes to study. I'm going to, I'm going to look up that yeah, whole yeah. thing and, and we're going to come back to that at a later, at the next time we come on, because I think that can be an interesting concept or I'm sorry, an interesting discussion, but I'm just not too familiar with, uh, I'm, I'm going to do some research on that. Speaking of checking against your biases, I should probably admit that. Yeah, I, I, I don't have the footnotes for this right now, and I might be I might be putting too much strength on it. So yeah, let's uh, that's the prudent. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of subjects where I, I should probably be admit to way more ignorance. I come across as cocksure. I think I think people think I'm arrogant and I know it all, and no, I no. am pretty humble about how much I know. But I do think no, because you're coming yeah. you're coming across as a guy who has thought on a lot of subjects you're coming across as a guy who has a lot of opinions but you're not coming across as a guy who is the end all tell all you're not saying no, i know this was, and you you know you're not coming with that tone at all see this is no this that was, was 10 years ago it was 10 years ago you, you, you've grown out of that that was yeah. when you were living in the country uh <laughs> no but i i uh, this is why i like talking with you because i i, I like discussion i love discussion and Same. and a lot of times I will be accused of, of arguing when I'm not. I'm discussing, but I just have some facts. I have a few yeah. facts I want to share with you. And if you get so frustrated that you begin to get uh, angry and you begin to argue, that doesn't mean I'm arguing. I'm still discussing. <laughs> That's a yeah. little holier-than-thou attitude. But I do, I, I do. what I'm saying is I do try to... Um, discuss these things i do try to find that person who doesn't necessarily agree with all that i mm-hmm. that i believe because i like to be challenged you know like i said i'm going to go and i'm going to do some research on this 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 in group out group thing and and how mm-hmm. early does that does that happen for a child i, I like discussions like that i miss it yeah. there's not enough of I'd, it i'd love to have that chat um but, but by the way when um oh man my brain is spacey i was going to say that uh 
I, I love discussions too. Do, do you do you sometimes? I often get told that I'm being argumentative just for the sake of it, and I I I really don't like arguing. Yeah. I do like discussing certain subjects, and sometimes I feel like, no, I'm sorry, but you're wrong on this point. And, yeah, and, but and I, but that's. And I think some people who who do that, you know, if someone accuses you of being argumentative just for the, you know, you, you just want to be an asshole. I think those are the people who might be and i'm not saying we're smarter than them but i think they are being a little bit lazy they don't tolerate being challenged they've nestled into that you know they're 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 sitting in their little nest of thoughts and beliefs and ideas it's comfortable it's well worn uh there's no challenges there they're nice and safe and secure and then boom here you come this thinking man who challenges who rustles their nest a little bit and they don't hey, that's react my worldview you're screwing with. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, so I think it's pe- people get a little bit lazy. They get a little bit too comfortable. Um, and again, I truly believe that something has happened recently within the last between four and eight years. You guys can, buddy, you guys can just figure out if that times up with a couple of the past elections. But I think something happened in the last four to eight years that stopped a lot of people, especially in the United States, from having an open mind from having a desire to dig through the rubble to find their way to the truth. Social media echo chambers are probably a big part of that, that you all get everything reinforced and you only get negative stuff about the other side of the aisle. And that's one of the things that really annoy me about social media and media in general. Uh, The media wants to focus on the hotspots. And so you get the two sides of the spectrum. Most people live in the middle. That's true. Small That's true. Small group of people on the sides. Yeah. What's the name of that new uh, social media thing that's coming up? Um, oh, I forget. But yeah, the I'm gonna look it up. Alt right sort of uh, social media thing. Yeah. Yeah, because to me, I, I just posted something about it the other day. Where is it? Parlor. Parlor. <clears throat> What's up with everybody going to Parlor? Because it, it sounds like, and, and when you think of the people on the right, what have they been saying, especially for the last few years? Oh, you weak little libtards. You guys can't handle mm-hmm. the truth. You know, uh, you guys need your safe space. Well, it looks like the right needs their safe space. <laughs> now their boy is lost, so they're all running over to Parlor so that they can sit and... I don't know, get like a virtual massage from the echo chamber there and that, feel that vibration and soothe themselves with that because that's what it's going to be if it's not that already is an echo chamber because everybody that I've seen, first of all, if you feel like you need to announce that you're going mm-hmm. over to parlor, there's something, there's a joke in there somewhere. I'm going to yeah. work it out. But, but everybody that I've seen announcing that they're going over to parlor are these mm-hmm. people who, who are if they're not a full out conspiracy theorist believer, they're at mm-hmm. least on the edge. And I think all they're going to hear is people who have those kind of thoughts and ideas. They write in all caps. Yeah. All, thank you. <laughs> I experienced that yesterday. <laughs> I know. I saw that. That's, why I mentioned that. That's right. Yeah. You were on that. You, you, you stepped in on that thread. Yeah. No, but I, um, I've, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been uh, commenting and writing stuff on some of these Norwegian, you know, NRK uh, dog blog, and a few other Norwegian uh, social media sites, um, and it's fun. I I find that I, I write things and then I start going no 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 this is not let's well, not get into see, it. See, I think it through. I think it through. No, sure, sure. Uh, so do I. Usually, I, I won't just post something in affect. But yeah, even I'm, if I do, I'm like, I'm gonna get a ping, and then I'm gonna be like, oh my god, is this somebody? 
tearing into me and being an asshole or is it going to be somebody and i'm actually kind of disappointed when i step in on a contentious subject with somebody i disagree with and i make some points i'm kind of disappointed when they're reasonable because that means like oh man i'm gonna have to do this more often i'd much rather give up the enterprise (laughs) i would love to i would love to get on um what is that show called on nrk um that, that debate program, the button, the button. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love to get on there with some, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, progressive party, hard noser. Mm-hmm. Just, just, <laughs> just, just try it out. Yeah. Sharpen my sword a little bit and then see if I can draw some blood. Another show. I haven't seen many black men on. Well, there you go. <laughs> see, and, and again, this is, this has been, and, and it kind of correlates, you know, this whole thing with me commenting more on some of these Norwegian pages, you know, I, I hear you, Kim Fairchild, when you say that I should turn my focus to all things Norwegian and, and, and be that spokesperson for black men. I hear you, Snoopy, when you tell me that. I hear you, my friends out there who are telling me that. And that's why I'm kind of, I'm just kind of, I'm, fe- I'm feeling it out, Eidik. I'm dipping your feet in. Dipping my feet in, writing a little comment here and there. So, I don't know. you, you got a sympathetic air here, at least. I know, but I, I feel like I'm one of the people who can... I, I, I felt the sort of white knight need to defend Norway when I feel somebody's being, like, harsh against it. Yeah. Especially if they come from a country where it's like, are you serious? You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the same as, uh, like, people live where they live and they want it to be better. It's like... Uh, it's it's so easy to see as an ingratitude when it's only just no. I want what's better for everybody and for myself. Yeah. And uh, Norwegians take it the completely wrong way. I was going to say on the point earlier, the Black Plague wiped us out, and Denmark took us over. Norway didn't have its own educational institution until like the 1800s. Like That's first true. university in Oslo was the early 1800s, I think. Didn't have our own language. I think we have a huge insecurity as a nation because Sweden, Denmark, they're bona fide cultural and scientific nations. Norway is recent to the game. We're doing a lot. I feel like we punch above our weight when it comes to us as a nation, mm. but we're still carrying a huge insecurity about it, and we're we're just we protest really? protest too much. After like a hundred and what seventy oh, yeah. odd years. Yeah. What was I it 1814? So. You guys had your uh, constitution. 1814. Yeah. 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 We were still under so think, Swedish rule until 1905, though. So, so you, so you think then that uh, okay, American independence, 1776. Yeah. Norwegian constitution, 1814. That's not that many years. That's uh, you know that's sure, a 45. You, that's a 45, 46 year old uh, woman, which at that time was a lifetime. But so let's say one, uh, one eighteen hundreds lifetime between America and Norway becoming, uh, you know, having their own constitution. Isn't that? But you guys started as colonies. Uh, that was your starting point. We were a nation. Then we got became yeah. uh, this outpost. And then we went back to being a nation without uh, our cultural uh, culture uh, firmly in place. I mean, Swedish and Danish culture that was kind of imposed on us and that we were told to look up to. It's not that yeah. different. Yeah, but, but still, we're talking over 200 we years. We're still talking over 200 years ago. Really? Is it, uh, do you really think that that is the struggle? 200 years is a long time. That's that's my assumption. I can't see why Norwegians would bristle so much more than Danes and Swedes when it comes to these things. Why we're so much more insecure. And why but we trumpet? I mean, you don't you don't see, for example, Danish and Swedish headlines if they get mentioned in the 
byline on the New York Times. You don't have stop the press as yes, Norway yeah. mentioned in the New York Times. I've seen that headline, yeah, Norway yeah. mentioned in the New York Times. Yeah, Why yeah. do we crave this? Norway's like a comedian, just wants all this acceptance. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Norway is like a comedian, yeah? Very screwed up emotionally. and uh, yeah. some uh, Comes across way more confident than it is. <laughs> 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 oh man! Looking for validation everywhere. Looking, looking for yeah. validation everywhere. No, Fuck, I don't. I, I don't bring know. up that point. Uh, I don't know. I, I could. Um, my wife has been telling me this for like the last ten years. I could erase this feeling that I have that I should be careful about what I say about Norway by just getting my citizenship. Because before, it used to be that to get Norwegian citizenship, you would have to drop American citizenship. Now I can. Oh, now you can change the rules. Yeah. Uh, I should ju I should just do it. I think it'd be hilarious if I could say I was Norwegian. Maybe that's the wrong way of looking at getting Norwegian citizenship, but I think it would be hilarious to be able to say I'm a Norwegian. Norwegian American. Wouldn't the rules state that it should be American Norwegian? Yeah, and that's another thing. You guys put the Norwegian <laughs> Norsk Norwegian American. I would yeah. think yeah, American or yeah, I don't know. I never thought about potato, that. Potato potato. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Just convention. Uh, yeah. I don't know. But, uh, it's it's a weird old country. I love Norway in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it is I a feel weird like country. We have it, but we have the potential to be so much better than we are. We have you all do. the resources. You do. You have all the resources, and it is it is a weird country. There's so many things that I just can't make sense out of. So I stopped trying oh, to drop make some sense other ones on me. No, I. I don't know. Now I got. Now I have to put words. Put on you on the spot. I'm sorry. Now I have to put words <laughs> on it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking shit. No, I don't know. I've been here for 20 years, and it seems like I'm constantly being reminded that this is a foreign country because weird thing. and I, I'm on the spot, so I can't put any words on it, but just weird things that just pop up, and I'm like, mm -hmm. whoa, okay, yeah, Norway, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. No, it makes sense to me. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, that's another thing. Norwegians tend to think they know the U.S. Uh, because of, well, a lot of countries do, right? That's, they see it on the TV all the time. That's slightly irritating. I actually said this yeah. on NRK, on the on the national news. I said that that's quite irritating that Norwegians yeah. have this thing that they know uh, America, and they try to tell me. I've been yeah. an American citizen my whole life. I lived there until I was 36 years, 30, 33 years old. Yeah. But they try to tell me what America is all about, and yeah. they don't know what their own country. They don't know what Norway is all about. Yeah, I have people that have no clue, no clue uh, about, um, you know, it's 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 like a micro society up in Finnmark with the Samisk uh, people, the Laplanders mm -hmm. as we call them in America, and that blows my mind that no so many Norwegians up here have preconceived notions or, or no notions at all about how they live up there. That, that mm. blows my mind. That blows my that mind. we're just that's not like, interested. Yeah, that's like somebody saying, John, did you hear about those people in Arizona, how they're living? And I'm like, Arizona? Well, yeah, no, nah, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. You know, I just don't understand that lack of knowledge about, uh, at the same time as they can be so proud and overprotective of all things Norwegian, and yet they have so little knowledge of certain aspects of Norwegian society. Those guys aren't proper Norwegians. They spread out over oh, Sweden and Finland too, right? Okay, look at him. Disassociation. <laughs> uh -huh. I, I don't. I don't feel that way always. Psychology but, uh, 101. We talk about that disassociation <laughs> there. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never taken super much interest in the Sami either, but I do know, of course, that we we treated them terribly in the fifties and sixties and stuff, and, and probably 70s, prior to that, in seventies and eighties yeah. and nineties. Oh yeah. Sure. I, I'm not sure how how long up when could they practice their own language in schools and stuff like that. Like I'm talking about stuff like that. There are still issues with that to this day. Mm. Uh, the Sami are entitled, if they want it, to be mm. uh, to have a certain amount of their uh, their their curriculum at schools to be taught in the Samisk language, and there mm. are certain issues with that to this day. Um, my father-in-law, my wife is is Samisk. Uh, her father is, is from, uh, from where we have our place up there in Finnmark. Uh, there's stories about him. Uh, well, I was witness to some things about how he was treated. Um, mm-hmm. In the first few years, the first couple of years when we came to Norway, we lived with her parents. And I saw with my own eyes, there were certain uh, issues that he had with the county, with some building permits and, and land issues and things like that. And they treated him like a dog because he was Samisk. I saw it with my own eyes. So that thing, that dynamic is still going on to this day to granted to a lesser degree than yeah. in the forties, fifties and you know, in the post-war times when, yeah, the kids were not allowed to speak. Uh, yeah. That's why, that's why my, my Snoopy doesn't speak uh, Samisk because her father was prohibited from speaking Samisk at one point, which then put this stigma in his mind that he should not teach it to his daughter, my wife. That's, that's sad. A, that's terrible. That's just absolutely terrible. It's a terrible, terrible. thing to do. Yeah. Language is so integral to language is identity. identity and yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, taking that away from people is, uh, yeah. But, 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 but again, you know, and Norway all in all is a, is a great place to live. I enjoyed it. It's a constant adventure, but yeah, there's, there's just, there's some weird shit going on at the same time. So, uh, and it just, it just gives me that constant reminder that I am just a visitor. Yeah. I kind of feel that way sometimes, but I, but the more <laughs> I grow, I like, especially with, the, with regards to the countryside, I part, I really felt like I'm not from there and you know, I'm, I'm a child of the world, but it's it's so obvious uh, that I'm a product of my environment. I can't get away from that. So yeah. I am Norwegian, whether I like it or not. But you like it, but, uh, don't you? Come on. Like I said, I, I feel like, no, I feel like Norwegians, I don't know, we're, we're all right, but we're not as all right as we think we are. And sometimes we're downright... Uh, I mean, I think because we're so, such a homogenous country, there's a lot more xenophobia than yeah. uh, certain other places. We just don't have enough. Uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 considering the resources we have, that we should have people struggling the way they do, and and it, the social system's being built down, even though we're amassing more and more money based off interest. Maybe not right now when we're spending so much to keep COVID in check, but but it'll come back. I feel like the profits will I feel come like, back. Though. Yeah, I feel like Norway should be judged more harshly. You should you should judge your own country more harshly, I sure. feel, than other countries because sure. that's sure. your doorstep, right? Yeah. And uh, but I also feel like with our resources, we also have an obligation to do better than we are. Yeah, I just think it's funny when Norwegians try to not only that they try to tell me what America is all about, but they ask me, "Yeah, well, what about Trump?" I'm like, "Yeah, what about that guy? I didn't vote yeah. for him." Yeah. You know, next argument, please. You know, you can't. That's not yeah. going to work with me. But people try yeah. it nonetheless. So. Some people would go like half the country didn't vote for him. I'm like, no, half the country didn't vote at all, and then <laughs> exactly. half of the people who do did. However, he did lose the popular vote. So far, it's at five million and something and counting. That's the largest margin yeah. in history. 
just like last time. Yeah, yeah. Last time was the largest margin <laughs> in history. Now it's even now it's almost double that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that's what one about, of the things what, that fascinate me. Like Norway, when Norway start gerrymandering, that's when we know we're <laughs> <laughs> sloping terribly. I, somebody got mad at me uh, a couple of days ago. They said, "Yeah, well, what about Trump?" And I'm like, "You know, I don't have anything to do with him." Uh, <laughs> what about Vidkun Quisling? <laughs> and they got they got a little bit quiet then. You know, they didn't have anything to do with him either. So, so it's, that's same, a good same, comeback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Same same argument. That's a little harsh though. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little harsh. Well, I mean, that, that, that's a, it fits. That's a good example. It it, yeah, it, it, it tweaks the intuition and makes him go, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually, he was running the country for a while. I actually, um, if I had still been active in stand-up, you know, if it wouldn't have been for the COVID stuff, I would have worked out a pretty good Vidkun Quisling bit for my stand-up. I had just oh, yeah? started, well, not just, but I had actually been working on it for maybe six months, but I hadn't tried it yet because I know it would be controversial. So I have to make sure that that bit is going to be solid before I try it on anybody, but it'll, it'll come. You don't wanna, it'll come though. You don't, you don't want to go up there with a rough draft on. That oh one. yeah. It's gotta be, it's gotta be solid already. Uh, yeah. You've been working a lot of material and stuff uh, during the COVID shutdown. Uh, I don't want to say I've been working on it a lot, but I am constantly writing new material or, or fine adjust, fine tuning older mm-hmm. material. Uh, mm-hmm. That writing process hasn't stopped. Um, when you do, do you sit down, pen and paper and stuff, or laptop, no, or do you no, mull I'll, it over? No, I'll, I'll sit down and something will pop into my head, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be funny. And I'll sit and I'll think it through for a couple minutes. Sometimes I'll test it out on Snoopy. Uh, and, and in all seriousness, if I can make her laugh, then I know it's a good bit because she's just, I, I don't know, she's not even human. But if I can make her laugh, then I know it's going to be a good bit or it's, at least it's worth developing. So if it sounds good in my mind, then I'll write it. I have a whole section on my, on my iPhone with material and I'll put mm-hmm. it on there. And then it's there and then I can go back later and work on it and develop it. Yeah, same. Um, I got like a premise list. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically what it starts. It'll be a premise or a little idea, and and uh, but I don't write those little ideas down at 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 once. I think them through, and that might be over the course of an, a a whole day. I'll mm-hmm. think of that one, and I'm like, okay, it's still funny, and here's some more ideas. Now I'll write it down, and then mm-hmm. I just build from there. So. Yeah, same. I'm. I don't know. I'm probably giving my own creative process too much credit, but I. I like to think <laughs> of it as if if I'm not sure how to do a bit or something, I'll just leave it in my head. And in my mind, that's gestating, and fermenting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then my brain will go ding when you know the timer goes off, and it's like, yeah. oh, it's ready. Yeah, but that's yeah, you know, and that's basically what it is uh, with me. It. it mm-hmm. um, if I feel like it's ready, I don't. You know, that little ding that comes, it, it, that, that's when I'll actually write it down and know that it's a keeper. This is worth I developing. Love, what I really like doing is I do jokes that maybe they don't work or something on stage. Yeah. I've got a funny premise, but I haven't gotten it out yet, and I haven't made other people see what I see. And then I'll put that in the, on the shelf for half a year, bring it back, and then right. people come up to me like, oh, I really like that new joke. And I'm like, that was a joke yeah. that fell flat a while ago, and I stopped doing you ever get, it's, it's gratifying to hear people call that a new joke that's good yeah. you ever get up there and um and things just happen so that you kind of come away from your prepared material and then you fall you know in the moment you fall into a new bit that you will then develop later 
or are you uh, or are you structured and you stick to what your material is supposed to be I tend to stick but what I'll do sometimes is uh, in the moment I'll I'll think of something and it might be it might be something that tags on or it might be a uh, whole new addition to the bit but usually it's tied to what I'm already doing on stage unless we're talking about just going with what's going in the room you know that's different that's just well the, the crowd uh, it, it happened a couple of times um where I would go up on stage and um, because I don't trust people or whatever, I'm up there with, with my jacket on, you know, and like my wallet mm-hmm. is in there, my cell phone is in a, in a pocket <laughs> of my jacket. So I go up there and then I take my jacket off. Yeah. And then, uh, and then people are like, ooh, you know, I'm a big muscular guy. That like, effect, you're getting comfortable there. And that, and that, and it, it was, it was never my intention to make that a bit. Yeah, but yeah. after a couple of times of getting that reaction, I'm like, hey, here's an opportunity here. Yeah. So then I started. No, yeah, mentally, that would make me go like, oh, this guy is getting settled. This is his space now. You know. Well, it, it, it wasn't even so thought out as that, really. It was because I was afraid people were going to steal my wallet. <laughs> so yeah, I had no, my... I'm just saying that's, that's what it happens in my head, and it uh, kind yeah. of okay, lends yeah. you a certain air. Okay. Yeah, I guess that would work. But they were mostly reacting because, you know, I'm this, I'm wearing this jacket and then I take it off and then they see these power lifter arms. So they react to that. <laughs> so I have, I, I started to put that into the act where I would purposely do that, get that reaction. And then the first couple, two or three minutes, which is a long time for an opening bit would be on yeah. their reaction to my physical size. So they gave opening. me they gave me a bit. The audience yeah. gave me a bit in that moment mm-hmm. of spontaneity. Oh, an a good opening bit. I'm still looking for my good opening bit because that sets the tone. It makes people go, "Okay, he's funny," and they relax. Yeah. Uh, one of the recently I've been watching this guy called Rory Scovel. You know him? No, I don't. No. American comedian, not hugely known or anything, but pretty darn funny. And I've been seeing these small rooms. There's one, I think it was in North Carolina or something like that somewhere. And he's he's in this smallish room, kind of like what we would play in. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, he gets up <laughs> on stage and then he starts looking out the window. That's look big, big glass window that's just out towards traffic and stuff. And then he goes and looks out and he goes... Man, it's a crazy town out there. And then a bus comes and he goes, watch out, public transport. <laughs> and then the crowd starts cracking up. And then he goes, I timed that. I timed that. I'm that level of professional. I call the city public transportation prior. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> prior to arrival. I go, I don't know what you guys got going on at 8.52.08, but I need that bus to come on through. <laughs> And they listen, and they listen to me, and they listen to me. And he's, and that's just, he saw a bus in the window and now he's getting two minutes out of it. And I'm like, man, that's. See, that's the kind, that's the level of professionalism. That's the level of artistry that that I strive for, uh, to be able to pluck that moment and make it seem like I planned to talk about this all along. Yeah. You know, who else is good at that is his name is Mark Normand. Oh, I love Mark Norman. Don't you love him? Oh my God, comedy. He's good at that. Yeah, yeah, comedy, comedy. All right, really all right. Comedy I love tonight. His cadence. It's funny. <laughs> no, he uh, he's real good at that. He'll take a moment. He'll take something someone says in a crowd and turn it into five minutes of of gold. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people shy away from that. Now, me personally, from the get go, I have enjoyed the hecklers. I don't even want to call them hecklers. The the people who comment. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy it. Echo sounds 
yeah adversarial but yeah. but i like it i like it yeah yeah um I, I opened for uh, for Bobek. Shout out to my brother Bobek Namati. I haven't spoken to him. I haven't spoken to him in too long, and that's a shame. But uh, I performed with him at Drummond uh, a month ago or two. Say again. Like I what performed uh, along. He was hosting when I was in Drummond like a yeah, month and a half. Ago. Yeah, and I missed I missed that show. Um, I need to give Bobek a call. But but he did a he did an hour uh, solo show, and I opened for him. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite performances. It was full of all of these Persian, uh, uh, Persian and, and Middle Eastern Brown people. And boy, did I use that? I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to be, uh, part of my act. The fact that the crowd was predominantly Persian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but it, it just, it, it fit. Yeah. Um, and it all, it all started with, uh, you know, I came out and, and, and started, started my thing and, um, the light, there was a spotlight in my face and it was too bright. So I honestly was asking whoever was in, in control of the lights to turn it down. Mm -hmm. And then I, it just clicked in my head. Wait a minute. Here's an opportunity. So I started, I said, you know, can you please turn the light, turn the lights down, please. It's a little bit bright. And I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, all these Persians out here with all them gold chains and grease in their hair. It's just, that light is just, and they, the, the, I, I don't think I have ever gotten a louder or longer moment of applause in my short, oh, really? pathetic little stand-up career. They loved it. So then I just kept, I just kept rolling with that. And, you know, there's too much cologne in the air. And all, it, it, was, it just turned into this series of, of uh of bits that just came from them in their response because they were persian i bet i bet i was about five at least five or six minutes on that that's a long time when you're just an opener who has 20 time. minutes i was supposed to be on for 20 minutes and i, I took five minutes and turned it into yeah. just making fun of them being persian yeah <laughs> and then you can go all right let's get into the actual material yeah now that we've gotten that out of the way <laughs> Gosh, I, I, I don't think stand. i've ever yeah, me too. I don't know if I've ever engaged the audience that way before. Uh, oh gosh, I tried, it's so actually, crazy. I was, I was, I was lucky enough. The last set I did was at Pedrera. Uh, I, I won the lottery to go up and stuff, so ah. I got to do an unpaid slot after the break. And uh, my my opening line was something like, "I've already drunk my free beer. Who here wants to pay for? <laughs> who wants to buy me a beer?" And dead silence in the room, and I go like. Show us your funny first, Eric. All right, and, then, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, I, but I usually I can't. I, I don't see how you can get five minutes out of just okay, oh, what's going man. on in this room, and I, I could never do that. But you know think, what that is? Yet. I think that's a cultural thing, and yeah. among Black Americans, we you know, th this goes back to, to years before I even thought about doing stand up. I can remember sitting at my job. Uh, as a police officer, and we would be four or five black guys that I worked with sitting around and just making the rounds, going off on each other, do, you know, saying the most outrageous things, making fun of personal qualities or physical qualities on each and just just finding something in the moment to be funny. That's what yeah. we do. That's what black men do. 
uh, you find that you find that a lot with blue collar workers and stuff too, like a lot of comedians yeah. talk about blue collar background and yeah. warehouse banter and stuff like yeah. that being yeah. uh, formative. And in this, yeah, in this case, it's black banter. It's it's it, yeah, yeah, sure. every black guy has that old uncle who used to just be funny and would talk yeah. about people and just say the most horrible things that would be horrible in any other context, but because you know it's just to be funny and it's rooted in love. You know, you're making fun of someone that you actually care about, but it's funny and, and it's, it's very black. It's a, it, it, that is a black thing. So Who's I think your that's uncle Red Fox. <laughs> I, I had uncles that you could probably compare to Red Fox, Red Fox. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from him or, or people like Richard Pryor, you know, uh, yeah. I don't want to take anything away from them. They had their talents, but I'm telling you, that's so common to have somebody like that in your family. Sure. In America, among black people, we all have mm-hmm. that uncle who, or an aunt, mm-hmm. you know, some lady, a older uh, lady. I got several aunts there. <laughs> pretty sure. Oh man! So shout out to to Babek Namati and all of his greasy uh, Persian friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sounds um, like a crowd I'd try to. I'd love to perform for, man. If you get a, it was a lot of fun. Break, right off the bat for pointing out their gold chains. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Gold, gold chains and hair grease. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, it was. I a, thought we were gonna make a rug joke or something. Was <laughs> there is fire sale on rugs or something? <laughs> no, it was. Uh, that was a good crowd to perform for. It's. Uh, it was a different. Yeah, you want to talk about uh, how different crowds can be based on location, but also based on ethnicity. That was just mm-hmm. a different crowd that night. Yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of black culture, I mean, it's widely known black crowds. If you, if you if if they like you, then they're just the best kind of crowd to perform for because they're falling out of their seat and stuff. You the know? Apollo, the Apollo Theater in New York City. Yeah, you yeah. go, you I've, go there, and if they I've, love you, they love you. But if they don't like you, they will boo yeah. you, and you will know that they don't like you. Richard Pryor's son got booed off. Yeah, yes, he did. <laughs> Who, by the way, you could just walk on and just say stuff. And I'm oh, trying I'm to get. I, I don't want to say the guy's name because I don't want to put out information that he doesn't want out there. But there's mm-hmm. a gentleman who is an actor and film producer who has a project with Richard Pryor's son. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy is a, is, a, is a Marine, retired Marine. Uh, so we have a sense of brotherhood right there. And I'm trying to get that guy on to mm-hmm. talk about his acting career and his time in the Marines, but also see if he would be willing to come on at the same time as Richard Pryor's son. Oh. I'm trying. I have high hopes. Yeah, no, I'm trying. Uh, that would be a. You'd, I think you get more than that one sliver of people. Uh, I think you get a <laughs> bit more traffic for that. Yeah. I think it was it was uh, it was so cool when I got uh, Ralph Molina, the drummer from Neil Young's band Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. when I when I had him on, and then to see um, yeah, to see the love and support from a whole new, a whole different crowd of people than mm-hmm. what had been listening to my podcast up until that time. And uh, it's it just, uh, that's that's what's so cool about my podcast is it opens doors that I never, forget about the door not being open to me. I never knew the door was there in some of right. the circumstances just because of the people that I've had on it. And it hasn't necessarily had to be someone as famous as, as Ralph Molina, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, talking to you and talking to Joachim. And I've gotten to know so many different stand-up comics where when I first started doing stand-up, I felt very much alone. But now I feel like I'm, even though I haven't been active for the last mm-hmm. almost, what, nine months, I still feel like I'm part of the stand-up family 
because of the people that you guys have mentioned and I've gotten to meet and yeah, yeah that's hugely important to me uh yes Anthony who I mentioned earlier he uh he's such an organized guy and everything he does and he's like hey who wants to get together a little writing group like let's meet up at a, ah. at a cafe or something or a, or a, you know and and get some drinks in and stuff and just write and it was so, such a good hang. It was very unproductive. <laughs> None of us really honed our material, but it's still a little too good. much we alcohol, a little too little writing. <laughs> no, not so much. But it wasn't the drunkenness. But uh, but uh, I think it was mainly just that it was it's fun bantering and being just just riffing with each other. And then we'd talk about comedy in general, but we wouldn't get into specifics about tweaking bits. Maybe one or two jokes. We'd be like, "Hey, what do you make of this? And how could I make that contrast better and stuff?" But uh, did that conversation go in Norwegian or in English? Uh, we did English because, okay. uh, yeah, Anthony's more comfortable with English, and okay. I'm personally I'm more comfortable with English too. Actually, I tell you what, man, uh, your your English is almost flawless. Now, is that because of your ex-wife, or or have you had other no. exposure to? Uh, it's because I didn't have many friends growing up on the West Coast, okay. and so yeah. I was inside and watching TV a lot. And uh, okay, I can do a British accent that's uh, equally. Yeah. You know, people from the UK can't tell. And it's just it's just the one skill I got. I was always fascinated by English. I took in as much as I could. Yeah. I practiced it as much as I could. And by the time I went on exchange to the US when I was 17, people couldn't tell that I was an exchange student. Yeah, your English is, it's like, it's like a, um, it's like a very typical, average, generic, maybe a Midwest, upper Midwest American English. Nobody would ever um, know, nobody would ever know you're Norwegian. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's the one thing I'm unapologetically uh, uh, cocky about. Like, I don't think I'm hot shit in any way, but my English is on point. Yeah, yeah, you should be proud of it. That's your English is is quite well. I'm pr I'm proud of my Norwegian. I I think it is so cool. Sometimes I think about it and I laugh. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? I can speak Nor because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I just love it. It's it's a sense of uh, it's a sense of accomplishment and pride. Absolutely. And then, and the added bonus when you go abroad, you got a secret language. Uh, oh, I, you don't have that with English. You think you think I don't want to talk about people back home in in Norwegian? <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, language is language is actually my first like big thing that I got hung up on so much so that I I went and studied at university uh, linguistics and uh, interpretation and stuff like that and uh, it didn't stick because I didn't love it that much. Once yeah. you get into the nitty gritty of grammar, it gets boring. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's 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 just it's just a, the thing I'm preoccupied with. It's also. It's also one part that makes me go like, okay, stand up might be for me because it is a very, of course, it's very verbal. So I feel yeah. like I should have the aptitude to yeah. get good at it. Well, I think I think it is amazing that we all are, and you and you hear the pros back home in America. You know, you hear, you hear Bill Burr talk about how flawed he is, mm -hmm. uh, and things that he's anger issues and things like that that he struggles with. You know, uh, uh, you know, Richard Pryor put his struggles on display. Um, not insignificant. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's hard to find a stand-up comic with no flaws. <laughs> We're all trying to compensate for something or to cover something or to, to self-medicate something through comedy. Everybody except Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Everybody except Jerry Seinfeld. I don't think that guy has anything wrong in his life. That's what he says. Uh, he's everybody's like you. you believe gotta him. get it from somewhere. I believe you, you got him. screwed over somewhere. And I believe like, him, but I'll say this. Can I say this? I don't think Jerry Seinfeld is funny. I don't. I mean, he, he, he he's he's funny, but he's not. I don't think he's funny. funny. I think he's yeah. successful at what he's doing. Can't deny that. Still, but I don't think he's funny. 
I really don't. He's got. He certainly has chops, like his delivery timing, word yeah, choices, stuff like that. He knows pro. how he's to do it. He's definitely a pro, and I'm not saying he's a terrible comic. I'm saying that I his his type of comedy is. Yeah. I find it very difficult to access. I don't see the humor in what he's doing. Yeah. I really don't. No, I, I I agree. He's very on small things, surface level things. He doesn't take the extra step and be like, uh, "What does this say about us?" Or you yeah. know, he, he just always yeah. So Maybe that's I, it. I, I, I because I admire the Louis C.K. and the Bill Burr yeah. who say the joke, ha ha, I'm a clown, look at what I said. But underneath all of that, there yeah. is this fascinating element of truth, uh, yeah. this fascinating element of, of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole thing happening underneath what they're saying. And I just, and, and yeah. I, I don't know, that's what, that's what intrigues me, that's what challenges me because it makes me think. And, yeah. and, um, yeah, I don't know. Jerry Seinfeld is too surface level for me. Yeah. There's no depth. Yeah, to I, it. I, Sorry, yeah, Jerry. I wouldn't be doing calm. I, <laughs> if you're listening. If you're, of course he is. Uh, I would like to open for you, though, even though I'm not your hugest <laughs> yeah, fan. Then I'll love you. Then I'll love yeah. you, Jerry. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing comedy if it were just, oh, these are funny little self-contained gags. And, yeah, yeah. you know, th- my favorite bits are bits that I'll bring up if I'm talking say philosophically or big issues with somebody and sometimes i just okay there's this one bit that just pokes at that intuition beautifully like one of my favorite jokes i heard the past year it's a guy called jim swan he's like british but he's grew grew up in norway so he's fluent in both completely and he's got this very frantic sort of strange presence he's very very energetic and very like he, he seems like he's had way too much coffee or something else and then he uh he uh he talks about how he's a vegan and how much people have antipathy towards him because of that. And he's like, people, when they call me up and they're like, hey, you want to come to a dinner party? You know, we're having some people over. And he'll have to be like, yeah, that sounds good. But you guys know I'm vegan, right? So you'd have to sort out some other option. And they get annoyed and they go like, oh, freaking vegans. Now I'm going to have to uh-huh. make something special for this guy. And then he's like, what would it have been like to have been an abolitionist uh, back in, say, <laughs> 1800s? You're an abolitionist. You get invited to dinner, and then you go, yeah, sure, I'll come to dinner, but you know I'm an abolitionist, right? You're going to have to cook the food yourselves. And he's like, cook the food ourselves. You know, this is terrible. And then comes the thing that really hammered it home for me. He's like, and then you'd get these progressives who come out, and they go like, you know, we do our part. We have slavery-free Mondays, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's such a good way to drive home why people oh, aren't impressed with absolutely. part-time veggies, you know? See, that's the kind of humor that I... And, and I think that's, the, that, that's that level that is underneath what is being said. And I think yeah. that's what's missing, for me anyway, with Jerry Seinfeld. That's one of those yeah. things that, like, that's that brings home, like, I never understood why vegans don't go, like, well, you know, they're trying, they're doing some part to sort of alleviate yeah. the problem, and then now I kind of see, like, if you're vegan, if it's about suffering the animals, of course part-time non-cruelty is not going to impress them, and it just kind of just kind of yeah. in my head, and yeah. now I don't, that's that's the point I bring up every time when, if I, if I want to talk on that point. Man, look at us. We've been talking for, it's been an hour and 57 minutes and 34 oh, really? seconds, 35, 36 seconds. No, and, and what did I say at the beginning? Gosh, I hope we can get 45 minutes in. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was, uh, I was like, oh man, we're going to have to cut it short. <laughs> but I, I, but see, this is why I love talking with you, man. This is, uh, we talked about everything and nothing. 
<laughs> no yeah. format, nothing scripted. We just talk, man. And it's just, it, for me, it's fruitful conversation. Every time I've gotten to hang with you, it's been pretty short bursts and we haven't been able to, you know, talk, talk big subjects. So I've enjoyed both these times. So uh, uh, next time we'll show up and both have read up on uh, on uh, biases and uh, group stuff. Because that will be a good and and I hope we disagree. I want somebody I want to have somebody on here who just absolutely hates what I stand for. (laughs) I want that Uh, kind of I want that kind of a discussion, but I can't. uh, I've asked a couple of people. Of course, they're not people I know, but people I'm familiar with so that mm-hmm. I know that they have a totally different worldview, but they won't come on. And that's a couple of fairly well-known people who have some quite they're, different ideas, but they will not come on. They're thinking you're trying to get a gotcha moment with them or something, yeah, and, I guess. And I, try to, and I guess I can understand them being a little bit wary of, mm-hmm. of that exact thing, but, but I try to make them understand. I want the conversation. I want the challenge mm-hmm. of conversing with someone mm-hmm. who had, yeah. So anybody listening out there, if you know somebody who, who you guys hear me, you know what I stand for, find somebody who stands for the opposite and then mm-hmm. have them contact me. I want that kind of person. I want that kind of person on my podcast. I'll be tuning in for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, or those ones, things, things are too calm and nice here. I want some controversy. <laughs> I also, by the way, it's a bigger point. I I love being wrong sometimes. I'm just well, it's a learning process, and I enjoy that. Yeah. I want to be it's wrong. The quickest too. way to not be wrong is to yeah. get shown up for it. I tell and, you, uh, the yeah. echo chamber makes us weak. I truly believe that. It makes mm-hmm. us weak. If you hear, if you hear too much agreement, you're going to lose that adventurous part of your mentality. I think. Can I just have one last little point on that little story? Uh, there's, there's a, I was at a, what's called a folk high school, which is like this year off where you just do studying for the sake of studying. Uh, and you have some very specific things that you're looking at and studying and living in a school with a bunch of people from all over the country. And we had this one course called uh, Thought and Tendency where we'd talk about bigger issues and stuff like that and watch documentaries. And at one point we watched one about basically this is 2002 or something 2004 and it was a documentary about fox news and the the way they're sculpting the media image and and uh at the the end we had this discussion there was a lot of talk about the u.s and bush and this that and the other right and everybody was in violent agreement and then there's this one guy who just kind of got up and he was like no i I think bush is doing a good job and that fox news is a valuable news source you know and everybody turned on him it's like you know, it's just terrible reaction for him. And he persisted with this for like five, six minutes. Yeah. After all, people were like, how, how can you say these things? You know, and then after a while, he goes, listen, I just feel like there was way too much agreement going on in this room. So I felt the need to represent the other side. And I get that. I'm kind of like that myself. When yeah. you talk about being argumentative, do you sometimes take up the contrary and like, well, you know, let's just bring up a little confounder to what we both really agree about. You know, I'll sometimes say something that I just think might be problematic, even though I don't necessarily think it's a big issue. Well, I've, I've, done, I've done that in conversations with some of my guests on the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. But then it's very clear that I'm, pl- you know, it's not that sneaky contrary thing. I'm very, clear, <laughs> I'm very clearly playing the devil's advocate in this, in the, in, with the interest of furthering the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've been known to do that. Yeah, I, I could guess. We, I, I think we have similar temperaments. Yeah, I, th- I think so. That's why you're so doggone cool. I look at you and I see myself <laughs> if I've been sick for a few years. A little pale, 
a little bit thinner. <laughs> anemic John Allen. Yeah. Yeah, no wonder go. I can't lift as much as you. <laughs> You're anemic, <laughs> see? Hey, you know, uh, here on, what is it, Tuesday, I'm going to record an episode that will be released on um, next Sunday, not tomorrow, but mm-hmm. the Sunday after that with, uh, with uh, Ania James. Am I pronouncing his name right? Inia, yeah. Inia, yeah. Um, now, here's a guy. I just kind of want to, I want to tease this episode with him, Inia, because I had the opportunity to hear his stand-up uh, the first time I, d- I was at Steinar's. Mm-hmm. But when I came off, he went on after me, but, and when I came off, I was still so in my head about my routine because oh, yeah. it was new material, so I missed his entire set. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm the same way after yeah, I go off. I'm I was like, very no, no. much in my head afterwards, analyzing mm-hmm. everything. So I missed his entire set. However, I've heard so much positive about him. I think it also, it's fascinating that he's doing this stuff with film. I want to hear more about that. And uh, the other day, I posted a video of some, uh, some New Zealanders performing a haka. And then he says, oh, yeah, I went, to a, I went to a boarding school and we did Hawk all the time. I called him up. I contacted him right after he posted. I said, man, you got to mm-hmm. come on my podcast. I've been wanting to have you on, but this is what tipped me over the edge. I, I want to – that guy seems to have a part of him that people just have to hear about. So I'm going to have him on. I want to hear about it, and I want other people to hear about it. Something, there's something about that guy that I feel yeah. like I just have to know about. His 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 uh, shtick on stage is very much, to my mind, uh, cheeky scamp. So yeah. he's he's a, he's a bit of an edge lord, but yeah, it's yeah. always with love and and joy. One of the funniest things I've ever seen was him going up and doing a set in Norwegian, which I didn't know he could do. I never heard him speak Norwegian before, really. You were keen. told me about this. Yeah, yeah. He he uh, he basically went up and did a set, and he used his language. Norwegian language is good enough to convey everything you wanted to, but it had this sort of childlike sort of grammar yes. and pronunciation stuff to it and structure. Childlike. That's simple. exactly what I, what Joachim said about him as well. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about how he came across in Norwegian. Yeah, yeah, in Norwegian. Uh, like his, yeah, yeah. Speech patterns. Okay, because he d- usually does his stand up in English. Right. And uh, and uh, anyway, he he used all these he used all these incendiary type words. Like he'd talk about. Uh, Mongos, you know, uh-huh. and, and not use these non-PC terms and right. stuff like that, which wouldn't fly most of the time. But because it came out in this <laughs> childlike language, it just took the sting Genius. out of it. Genius. I was, yeah, I was howling throughout his whole set because he just he was being this very very edgy dude and just using this well, childlike language is so good. Well, everybody says he is he is very funny, and and to me yeah. he seems just from his social media presence and from what I've heard. He seems to be quite the interesting guy, so I'm looking forward to doing that episode. I'll be uh, talking with him on Tuesday, and then next Sunday, a week from tomorrow, that episode will be available for everybody. I'll be tuning in. Ania James. Yeah. Hey, man. I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you for the conversation. As you, This is what, your third time? Second time? Third time. Second time, yeah. Second time. Second mm-hmm. time. How about that? 
one of the I, I I get so worried about I didn't want to first of all I didn't want to come on quickly after right because it's like <laughs> let's, let's let, give people time to miss me well that smells it's of desperation yeah if you come on already <laughs> you know a couple weeks after that's you're desperate you need exposure <laughs> and secondly I feel like you're bringing all these people who have uh, these experiences and credentials where they can talk a bit more authoritatively about something and I feel a bit like mm, I don't know uh, if I should be insisting on being in the lineup like this but oh uh, man you got to get beyond that because because, um, you know, you and I aren't talking about anything groundbreaking, but we're talking about things that to me are interesting. And I, I, I make it very open that my um, reason for doing this podcast is first and foremost egotistical. I'm trying to get something out of it. Mm. And hopefully, and it appears that people who listen are also getting something out of it. So you have your place on this podcast, man. It's been a great, well. it's been a great discussion, just like it was the last times. Yeah, I, uh, I got something out of it too, man. So uh, you have a great day. Have a great day. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Not too soon because we don't want you to look desperate, but I will talk to you right, again right. soon. Thanks a lot, Eidek. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you and goodbye.